Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports and pro wrestling, so we definitely want to keep this conversation going after the show. So make sure to swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Check out Parlay Points. New blogs count anywhere is out right now. Definitely talking a little more about our first segment that we're going to just dive into in just a second. The T Public Store, the Classifieds, which has voter registration links right at the top. All we're going to say about that. The directory, all that, and so much more. If it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. Well, Pat, let's kick off this episode. What do you feel like talking about today? We're going to talk a little wrestling. Wrestling, indeed. And man, oh man, it was a big Sunday in the land of pro wrestling. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Not because we had a huge wrestling card from stars of AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling, but Padawan J yeah. was in the house yes. to actually watch this. Now, if you're a longtime listener to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you very much. But Pat is a very vocal non-fan of AEW, Mm -hmm. but he decided to come through for this. So that's how you know that this was a very, very big card. Yeah. And, Pad, what card did we watch? We watched the AEW uh, slash New Japan Pro Wrestling pay-per-view titled Forbidden Door, which took place on Sunday, June 26, 2022, for those of you listening in the future. Uh, And it took place specifically at the United Center from Chicago, Illinois, with an announced crowd of 16,529. Yes, indeed. So AEW has been doing this promotion idea deal that they are the forbidden door of pro wrestling. (laughs) To quote Nick Fury, there was an idea. Yes. And in the past couple of years, they've had wrestlers from other organizations such as Impact Wrestling Mm -hmm. and New Japan come through. But this is the first time that they have really sat down with another organization and ran a joint card. Yep. And New Japan Pro Wrestling is arguably the biggest pro wrestling organization outside of the WWE Mm -hmm. worldwide. So this is a very, very big deal if you're not really familiar with what New Japan brings. And the buildup for this has been debatable. We have to admit that. Yeah. It's not really tying into a lot of storylines. This is more like an exhibition of great wrestling. It's kind of like a pocket dimension one shot of a comic where like it takes place and then it's done and then they don't reference it until you know maybe a year later yeah i always kind of refer to it like the marvel versus dc comic yeah way back in the 90s yeah. there yeah that yeah it's like it's great to throw everybody together see what happens but it's not really going to hold into continuum moving forward per se but this card definitely had a lot going on that we can definitely dissect a little bit so pad Let's do the breakdown. Uh, yeah, so we'll start on the uh, pre-show or the buy-in. Uh, and the first match you had to take place was Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi uh, defeat Aaron Solo and QT Marshall in 8 minutes and 53 seconds. It was an okay match. Yeah, this was an all right match. I was really surprised to see Goto was in the pre-show. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was with Rich from 3FN, Crazy Curtis Gaming, and our good friend Lincoln watching. And we all kind of were in the same 
situation. We're going, why is he yeah. here? Because he should be later in the card. Well, because didn't Rich say something like he had a matchup on New Japan for one of the other matches that took place later in the night? But he, oh, yeah. He lost. So you lost that, and now you're relegated to the opening match of the pre-show. Yeah, because in the storyline purposes, and we'll get to that when we get to the main event, the winner of his match in Tanahashi went on to face John Moxley in the main event of the show. So since he lost, he's now regulated to the pre-show. Yeah. Reasons, folks. Reasons. And this match, like you said, uh, very good match. Yeah. You know, very steady. Uh, memo, though, to QT Marshall, please <laughs> do not try that over-the-top cartwheel move that you did. Yeah. That looked bad. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I'm sure you're going to be hearing a lot about that over the social media accounts. Oh, I'm sure. Just saying. Uh, next up was between Lance Archer, who defeated Nick Camaroto in uh, six minutes and five seconds. Really nothing special about this match. No. Lance Archer came, saw, and conquered. Pretty much. Nick Camarado did his thing. I mean, this was kind of more just a filler match if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty about mm-hmm. it. Uh, next up was Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland defeated El Desperado and Yoshinobu uh, Kanmaru in 12 minutes and 3 seconds via pinfall. Best match of the pre-show. Yes. Uh, Swerve and Keith Lee have been doing this whole frenemy situation ever since they had a fallout during a battle royal mm-hmm. where Swerve eliminated Keith Lee. Yep. And it's been this bickering back and forth. Yeah, are they going to work together? Are they not? Is it a heel turn? Is it not? Yeah, and they're not featured enough on TV that we really don't know what the status was going to be going into this match. However, they did get in. Camarado and Desperado did their thing. This was a very back and forth match. Very solid. And at the end of the day, Swerve and Lee got the big win. So this is what they needed to do. Yeah. I understand that they were trying to build with their storyline against Team Taz, which I honestly forgot was still a thing, but yeah. it is what it is. So overall, though, did what it needed to do. They could have ended the pre-show right here. I would have been perfectly fine, but mm-hmm. we had one more match. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that was between Austin Gunn, his dad, the ass man himself, Billy Gunn, uh, Colton Gunn, and then Max Caster uh, defeated uh, Alex Coughlin, Kevin Knight, the D, the DKC, and uh, Yuya Umura uh, in a... Five minutes and 35 seconds via pinfall. And we should note, uh, half of the first team I mentioned ran out the back because Danhausen. Yeah, it was a very interesting opening to this. I mean, it's cool to see Danhausen. It's always fun. Don't get me wrong. But, like, if you're going to do something like this, and maybe they will on Wednesday, mm-hmm. they made, and I'm not spoiling anything when I say this for the rest of the card, they made no reference to what happened with this the rest of the night. That, like, you had, you know, the first team out. And then Danhausen pops up on screen, and it's oh hey, you know, and it's the full Titantron, very nice, very evil, you know, the whole the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. He appears on screen, and he's basically like, oh hey, I got a present for you, and it's this like parody version of I'm an ass man, and and two of them go running out the back, putting him in essentially a handicap match, and then it's like okay, and there's no reference to that why they ran back. You don't see him the rest of the night, which I was kind of like, okay, if you're going to do something like this, at least throw something in between a match, you know, while you're setting up the ring or getting something set up that you can explain why the fuck that happened. Yeah, it was really weird in the setup of this. And I understand that they like doing a lot on the internet and a lot with Dan Housen trying to promote the whole ass boys in homage to Billy Gunn being the ass man. Blah, blah. And it's, it is what it is. I think it's eventually leading to a feud with Dan Housen and Hook against uh, the gun club. But this match, 
I mean, honestly, forgettable except Max Caster's rap. Yeah, I was saying Max Caster's rap was good. I would have put it earlier in the pre-show just because this felt like something like you get started with, kind of get the crowd going into it a little bit. That's not something you close with. Mm-hmm. Yes, but then we finally get to the main show, and yeah. here we go. The main show, and the first card or first match we had open up was between uh, Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, and Sammy Guevara defeating the team of Eddie Kingston, Shoto, or excuse me, Shota Umino, and Wheeler Yuta via pinfall in 18 minutes and 45 seconds. This was a very, very good match. Better than I thought it was going to be. I agree fully. Shota was the MVP of this. Yes, he definitely has come a long way. And was holding his own very back-and-forth match, especially when you got Eddie Kingston and Minaro Suzuki in there. Mm-hmm. That really was setting the pace. Very hard-hitting, chops left and right for days that uh-huh. you're still feeling after you're watching home. But this went pretty much as I thought it was going to go. Because where they're ultimately going with this is Jericho has a very big match with his faction, the Jericho Appreciation Society, mm-hmm. this coming Wednesday on Dynamite as we record. I think that they wanted to make them look very formidable in that match because it's a War Games match. Yeah. I, 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 I digress. It's, it's, it's blood and guts, it's, but let's call it what it is. It's War Games. Yes. So they want to make sure that they look good going into this. So this is how I, I did think it was going to go down, obviously, with Sammy Guevara, now part of the JAS for reasons. Yeah. You know, he definitely had some standout moments, love him or hate him. He definitely was taking a lot of high-flying fly, risks, which we all knew he was going to do. But at the end of the day, Jericho gets the big win, and this team has momentum going into blood and guts. Uh, next up was a three-way tag team matchup for the IWGP World Tag Team Titles and the ROH World Tag Team Titles. Uh, and you had the team of FTR in Cash, Wheeler, and Dex Harwood defeat Great O'Conn and Jeff Cobb, also Rocky Romero and Trent Beretta, to become your and still ROH World Tag Team Champions and your new IWGP World Tag Team Champions. So this match was very good. Yes. There is one hiccup, though, that I feel we got to address. Uh-huh. And that is when Dax went for an elbow on the ground. It was like a running yeah. moment, and it looked like he popped his shoulder up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't sure if this was real or not. Yeah. I believe it has been uh, kind of heavily alluded to that it was a work. And this was a situation that he went to the back. He disappeared. He had the Willis Reed moment where he came back out. Yeah, I mean, even even the cameras briefly caught it because there was a camera on the entrance ramp side that, like, from the corner of the shot, you could see. I don't think it was the match referee, but it was another official or another referee there with him on the ground, kind of huddled, trying to keep out of camera view. And and even Rich noticed, oh, they're trying to pop it back in. Yeah, like that's the whole thing. Like it, I'm just saying, from what we've been kind of trying to pick up as much as we can, it's it's heavily rumored yeah, that yeah. it was a work. Yeah. If it was serious, I still give them applause for going through with it because how injury riddled this card was. Yeah. And we'll get to that when we get to the main event. They really put on a show here. I just thought it was a disservice to the fans not seeing FTR at full capacity if they were completely healthy and they just tried doing this as a storyline. If this was a legit injury and he went back, listen, kudos to Dax for coming back out and doing it. And that's why I want to stress about that. Just from everything that we've been kind of picking out, it's just been heavily alluded to, and I want to stress that. I haven't heard anything official either way, personally, so that's where we're going with this. But this was a great match for what we had. I love seeing the United Empire in there when we go. And at the end of the day, they made the right call by giving in the belts to FTR. Yeah. 
FTR is going to go over to New Japan and defend those, and there are going to be some great matches over there. I'm very excited to see that as well. And we'll kind of have to see how this all kind of shakes up uh, moving forward. But huge win for FTR, especially them now. Dare I say they're going to be one of the more marquee faces in AEW and Ring of Honor when Ring of Honor returns yeah. next month for their pay-per-view event that they're heavily talking about. Well, so they are becoming quite the uh, belt collectors. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, next up was uh, a fatal four-way matchup for the new AEW All-Atlantic Championship. Uh, and you had Pac defeat the Clark Connors, Malachi Black, and Miro to become, by via submission, to become your inaugural AEW All-Atlantic Champion. Great match. And I want to say the wrong person won, but I'm not mad about it. Because mm-hmm. there was only one person I did not want to see win this match, and that was Miro. Yeah, especially after what happened. Yeah, because during this match, and it was all back and forth, very hard-hitting, great action going on. Uh, Clark Connors was a replacement for Ishii, who was hurt and had to pull out from this match. Right. They definitely went in there doing a lot of heavy moves. They were really trying to push the pace. And at one point, we thought Miro, who has a very unique gimmick, Mm -hmm. that it was... Uh, you know, he's the redeemer yeah. and whatever that nonsense is supposed to be. I don't understand it, so you, you can try to explain it to me best you can. I'm getting, like, religious connotations off of it a little bit. Yeah, I just, I don't I don't get it. Neither do I. So he was in there and definitely taking a lot of hits, uh, but he was definitely looking very strong in this match, and at one point we thought he was going to defeat Pac in the uh, camel clutch move that he uses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, luckily it didn't happen, but then... It was kind of a weird situation where mm-hmm. he got hit with the mist from Alistair Black yep. and took his finishing kick mm-hmm. and did not like immediately go down to sell it. Oh, so he like he was standing there kind of like the joke with uh what was it when Triple H took the stunner from uh Stone Cold and he just kinda he just kinda stood there. Mm. And and there was Shawn Michaels in the background kinda doing the wobble thing and like and Triple H is just kind of leaning there, and Shawn Michaels does a swipe, like trying to knock him over, blow him over type of thing. That's kind of what it reminded me of, because he was just kind of standing there like, what do I do? What, what do I do? Yeah, like it was a little awkward. And yeah, like, no, it, it was. And like like I say, at that stage, you're in the ring enough, you should know, like, that's a finisher, you go down. You've been around long enough, yeah. Yeah, the fact that you didn't sell it and... That's just a bad look, period. Like, I can't figure out whether it was just he chose to no-sell it or he just was contemplating in his head in the moment how best to sell it, and he overthought it, and he had a brain fart, and his brain just locked up. You know, or, or like, he just was like, oh, I should do it this way. No, I should do it that way. Wait, what about this way? And he just locked up and didn't know what to do. Like, it, it's it's inexcusable. He's been around long enough that it doesn't matter how the fuck you sell it. You got to sell it. Correct. You know, and it looks bad on you. Exactly. So the fact that Pac got out of this, definitely hit his 450 and got the pin on uh, Malachi, that yep. was the way to end it. And obviously he uh, got the win. Uh, he got the actual win over Connors right. So with his uh, submission yeah. there. But either way, like that's a, that's a good move for him. Like I don't really think Pac needed the belt. No. I think if anybody needed it, it was Malachi Black because he's now kind of falling into that whole WWE mystique <laughs> in AEW where – you're getting a big push when you come right in and then you get lost in the shuffle. And it's a weird situation to say, but it is what it is. I thought if he had the belt, that would really have legitimized the faction that he runs, gave him a ton of momentum. And it's better with Pac chasing as a champion, chasing the champion than being the champion. Right. 
But it is what it is, and now it's kind of flip-flopped a little bit, which, listen, if you give me more Death Triangle versus the House of Black, I'm here for it. I'm not mad about that. That is a fight forever I don't mind seeing. I was just, like I said, I was just happy that we saw somebody not Miro win this because I don't think he needed. No. He's already been the TNT champion. He's been off TV for a while. I know he just came back. He doesn't need the belt right now. Give it to somebody else. Let somebody else run with it. Mm-hmm. Next up was a six-person tag match uh, between the teams of uh, Darby Allen, uh, Sting, and Shingo Takagi, taking on the, the Bullet Club, essentially, with uh, El Fantasmo, Matt, and Nick Jackson. Uh, and you had Darby Allen, Shingo, and Sting emerge victorious, winning by pinfall in 12 minutes and 58 seconds. This is the best Young Bucks match I've seen possibly since they've been in AEW. Maybe I'll rank it up there with the Lucha Brothers steel cage match from a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of, a while back. Yeah, they have not looked this good in a match in eons, and I can't stress that enough because typically in the Young Bucks match in AEW, it's the same old stuff every time. Mm-hmm. We always complain about John Cena and his five moves. Is doing. sure, sure. The Young Bucks are kind of in that stage. I know I might catch a lot of heat for saying this, but listen, you watch their matches when they're in AEW. And they're just doing the same old stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's nothing fresh. It's nothing new. It's nothing revolutionary, yeah. Exactly. So taking it back to when they were in the Bullet Club in the Ring of Honor days and when they were legitimately the hottest faction mm-hmm. in all of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like when you're having the t-shirts getting sold at Hot Topic yeah. amongst other places. Yeah. That's how you know you're over when you start crossing over into mainstream. And those shirts were routinely sold out everywhere. Absolutely. So to take it back there and really tap into the time machine, I was super excited about. They oh, I was too. They didn't come out in their nonsense uh, designer looks. They yep. came out in their old school, old school. Bullet, bullet Club gear. The tights, the, the uh, vests. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. And not to be outdone, but Sting is 62 years old. Uh-huh. That entrance pad. Jesus Christ. They set him up to do a silhouette Batman-esque shot mm-hmm. with a spotlight and him standing off the corner, taking it back to Batman 89. Yeah. And he does a leap. Now, folks, I want to stress this. The man is 62 years old. Yep. He does a full body press jump uh-huh. from the top of the entryway onto the Bucks. He almost misses him. Yeah, he does. Like, if you watch the replay, they're lucky they caught him. He's living his best life right now. Yeah, he is. I still get scared every time I see him do a, a high spot just because, listen, at his age, with his injuries, I I, I cringe. Mm-hmm. But, hey, if he comes out unscathed, more power to him. Very good match. Yeah. Uh, Shingo was not in this as much as I'd like to have seen him in. Yeah. Because he is definitely a main eventer in New Japan. But the match did what it needed to do. I thought the Bucks were going to win this outright because now they're on a little bit of losing streak on AEW pay-per-views. So right. I don't know what to think about that. The well, match was definitely better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, the only definite drawback is Sting did miss his cue at one point. Yeah, that, that did happen. He went outside of the ring instead of being in where he needed yeah. to be. And yeah. you know, kudos to El Fantasma. It was awesome seeing him on pay-per-view. Uh, was trying to cover up best he could uh, for Sting's misfire. But... At the end of the day, it was an entertaining match. It did what it needed to do and definitely got the crowd very hyped. So, yeah, kudos. Uh, next up was the title match for the AEW Women's Championship, and you had Thunder Rosa pin Tony Storm in 10 minutes and 39 seconds. This match was everything I wanted it to be and more. Yeah. Loved this match. Strong style was brought, which is very well known in New Japan Pro Wrestling. These ladies were definitely hitting each other, definitely putting in a lot of strong work. 
And this is something I think Thunder Rosa desperately needed mm-hmm. because ever since she's won the title, there has been a lot of disservice, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Of what happened with her title run. And if you're getting more, if you're combined interview and ring time after the first, what, two months was it? So it was like less than 10 minutes or something like that. Yeah, it's like, like of actual in ring time not not like oh she's there for commentary oh she's getting an interview stuff like no actual in-ring time it was like less than 10 minutes it was something absurd and it's insulting because Thunder Rosa is one of the best wrestlers on the planet the fact that she was getting disrespected like this and now it seems that the powers of be are finally listening which is great mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough that you're finally listening to everybody crying out give her time to run with the belt because if they're going to do the hot potato thing and give it right back to Brit I was going to lose my mind yeah but this is a very big win for her over a well-known star in Tony Storm. They can continue a program moving forward if they want. Yeah. Which I like. Listen, I wouldn't mind seeing this match get ran back. I'm just happy that Thunder had a big win on pay-per-view that she needed, and definitely brought a new attention to her title run that hadn't been there before. So kudos, love this match. That was a very good match. Uh, next up was for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. And you had Will Ospreay defending his belt against Orange Cassidy. And you had Ospreay emerge victorious, pinning Cassidy in 16 minutes and 10 seconds. Pad, I know you that if there's anybody in AEW that you love, it's Orange Cassidy. I have met Orange Cassidy. Wonderful gentleman. What did you think of this match? This match was everything I thought it was it was going to be. You know, it was the kind of the schmaz you know, gimmick you would expect with Cassidy at the beginning, the hands in the pockets, the lackadaisical, but then it kind of kicked it into another gear and then it became an actual wrestling match. And for me, this was match of the night. You know, I understand at the beginning it was a little slow and it was kind of odd. And I agree with that. It was kind of like, ah, oh, this seems a little weird. Like they don't like each other. But then once it got going, I was like, all right, here we go. I'm right there with you. The only thing that took me out of this match is it was rumored that Orange Cassidy was getting his old theme music back. Mm-hmm. And he did not. Oh, but it did, it only got cleared 95%. They didn't have the other. Listen, having studied audio and copyright law in college, you either have the song cleared or you don't. There, yeah. There's there's no, oh, you only have it so many percent cleared. No, you have it cleared or you don't. Yeah, that's. It's plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, they just said it wasn't done in time. I've been fine. We don't need a long, lengthy explanation, in my opinion. And, and it's understandable if you don't get it done over the weekend because. Hey, doing that kind of stuff over the weekend, kind of hard. Yeah, because I think if they debuted it there, it would have been oh sure astronomically popped. I think that they're going to do it on Dynamite. I don't think it's going to get the same reaction because Chicago's no. more of a wrestling town that would definitely have marked out for that than where they're going to for the next match. Uh, but that's just my opinion about that. But overall for this match, I agree with you. This is a match of the night. I don't think anybody can question this. Will Osprey's no. one of the best on the planet doing the damn thing. Orange Cassidy, once he got into the story of it, and that is Osprey didn't respect him, was just kind of clowning him for the first, what, six, seven minutes of the match? Uh, give or take, yeah. That once he finally kicked into gear, this was a back-and-forth match. They At one point, you legit thought that Cassidy might win this, legitimately. But Osprey put the brakes on that and won in a the surprise match of the night. Honestly, I thought when I was looking at this on paper, this is going to be the worst one ever, especially Orange Cassidy was petitioning loudly to fight Zack Sabre Jr. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen, but damn, this match was amazing top to bottom. Yeah, it was. 
Uh, and speaking of Zack Sabre Jr., he is the next one up on the card because uh, Zack Sabre Jr. was scheduled to face Brian Danielson. Uh, but as he uh, alluded to on, what was it, Dynamite last mm-hmm. week, he would not be able to make it because he was not medically cleared. But don't worry, I've got a master tactician uh, picked out for you to face on Sunday. And it was kind of the internet speculation of who is it going to be, you know. Uh, Claudio Castanoli, his name was thrown out since he j- he just got released by WWE a couple little while ago. Johnny Gargano's name was thrown out because I know he was in Chicago at the same time this was taking place, so there, there was that speculation. Uh, but uh, the widespread, I guess, betting favorite was Claudio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, hey, if you put any money down on him making an appearance at AEW, hey, congratulations on your winning. Uh, because he did appear uh, to face Zack Sabre Jr., and you had Claudio emerge victorious, pinning Zack Sabre Jr., in 18 minutes and 23 seconds. So, a couple different things from this. One, Brian Danielson is out with an injury. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of wide speculation about it. Uh, listen, I'm just saying, I hope he has a very speedy and healthy recovery and does what's right for him and his family. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say about that. Cesaro, a.k.a. Claudio, uh, has been long rumored to be coming to AEW. Mm-hmm. He's arguably one of the short list of names on the free agent market that would make a big impact if he had gone to AEW or WWE right now. Right. So bringing him in in this stage makes a lot of sense for storyline purposes because he's a great fit for what they're doing with William Regal's faction, the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh huh. And he is somebody that can go in, has some credibility. He is a star. Fans do know who he is. Yep. So thus, when he debuted, everybody marked out, and he put on a hell of a match. And that's one thing that every single time you've seen Cesaro wrestle, he does fantastic work in the ring. He's a a technician. Him against Zack Sabre Jr. lived up to the expectations and definitely told a great story, albeit though I thought Lincoln was going to lose his mind at the beginning. He he had two feet up. He was up two sets, or he was up two steps leaving Mm -hmm. because match started. Hit him with like a gotch pile driver and then hit him with something else. Went for the pin and Lincoln had his foot on the second stop, yeah. re- ready to leave. Like he was like a second step or maybe a quarter of the way up the stairs. And we're like, oh shit, he's going to beat him. He's going to be, oh no, wait, you're good. You're good. Come back. Yeah, no, it was fantastic seeing that because I know Lincoln was so pissed off about that. But they told a great story. This is arguably in the, in the top three of the matches of the night. Yeah. You can definitely put that in there. And it's a great win for Cesaro, AKA Claudio. I got to get used to saying that now. Uh, so listen, it's a big win for AEW. The only question mark that we all have now moving forward is mm-hmm. where does he go in the storylines if Danielson comes back? Well, I mean, it, that's going to be the thing is it's good for AEW to have picked him up because I'm in the camp that he's been vastly underutilized in WWE. Don't get me wrong. He was great in his tag team as the bar with, with Sheamus. Mm-hmm. But in terms of singles run, he never really got a great singles run, I would argue. Yeah, he had the I think he had the one title match against Roman, you know, that I can remember. But outside that, can you really remember anything from his singles run that's worth noting? You know, so it's it's a great pickup for AEW. But I'm afraid it's gonna be like when you go to the grocery store and your favorite brand of ice cream comes out with a new flavor. And you mm-hmm. and you read what's on the carton and you go, Oh, you know what? I kind of like that. You know, one of my favorites, it's got some swirls of raspberry, chocolate-covered almonds, and and some hints of a little chocolate drizzle in it with vanilla ice cream. It's fan-fucking-tastic. Comes out, and I'm like, ooh, this is nice. And and you can think of your favorite ice cream you had recently. Comes out, you're like, ooh, this sounds good. I'm going to try this. And you buy it for a couple of weeks. But then, you know what? You kind of get tired of it. 
and you stop buying it, and you kind of forget it's there. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm afraid is going to happen with Cesaro, Cla- a.k.a. Claudio, in AEW, because look at the track record of guys that have made the jump from WWE to AEW, and almost every single time the fans and the marks go, Oh my God, this is so awesome. It's going to be so exciting to see him. You know, he's not going to be shackled back and held back like he was in WWE. And he's finally going to be able to get to flourish. And, and we're going to get to see the full potential. What have any of them done mm-hmm. in in their time in AEW? Moxley, yes. Mm-hmm. Moxley, but Moxley, I think, is like an enigma. He's, he's kind of his own dude. But Miro, Sean Spears, Malachi Black, Paul White. You know, you can run down the list of folks who've made the jump, and what have they really done to make an impact? Well, that's the argument that you have, because one thing that Tony Khan is very happy with is the depth of the roster. I mean, you mentioned, to paraphrase a little bit from the media scrum we were all in, that this definitely helped this card, because with all the injuries that happened with their roster going into this, they've had to do a lot of rewriting, a lot more plug-and-playing that they think that they wanted to do. And it's had a mixed reaction with the fans, but it's something out of their hands. Injuries are not something that they plan for. I'm saying, um, as of three days ago, AEW is working with 19 of them. Yes. So that being said, that this was a situation that with Claudio coming in, it, it kind of fell in their lap, and it was a sub, it was a perfect substitution yeah. for Brian Danielson. Yeah. Long term, that's going to be the big question because once everybody gets healthy. You only have so much TV time mm-hmm. or ring time on dark and elevation to so do stuff. Television, you only have what three hours? Yeah, right now, three hours right now, and then you got dark and elevation, which are their own thing. But it's hard to really gauge those numbers on a week to week basis, seeing as with like the TV numbers, we get those numbers. Those are like hard numbers from when they were watched. Then YouTube numbers can keep going up until the end of time. Mm. Yeah, it's a situation that they're going to have to really figure out what to do with everybody. Yeah. And I know that eventually, I think, in my opinion, the goal is to split Ring of Honor into its own brand. That makes sense. You can shift people there. That will help alleviate some of those issues. Sure. Or some of these issues, rather. But it's one of those scenarios that they really got to have a clear-cut plan Mm -hmm. in place. Because now, what's going to happen in a month or so with Cesaro? Mm -hmm. And this isn't going to be like a situation when everybody's screaming about Cody Rhodes going to WWE to get lost in the shuffle. Right. Claudio is on a different level than Cody. Mm-hmm. Cody is a main eventer. Claudio could be if they really push him right. Yeah, if, if, if the cards fall right. Yeah, but in the situation right now, if you're asking, you know, could he, you know, really come in there and... Not right now. Not not at this moment, no, but he's definitely going to get some airtime. He can definitely run with the ball. And if he wins over fans organically like FTR did... Sure. Because now FTR, like we said, is the hottest team on the planet... And that's what even what made their match so important. That, like I said, when even going back to it, when Dax went down, and like I say, hopefully that that was not a major injury, and they kind right. of spun it because, like I said, I've been trying to track down what exactly has happened. Heard heavily, it's a work. If if it was, you know, it is what it is. I'm hoping it wasn't, and I'm hoping that it was not a serious injury. But this is a situation that they have now won over the fans, and that they have now you know, elevated their stock a lot with the company. I'm hoping the same thing that happens with Cesaro, AKA Claudio. And he definitely gets a lot of screen time on here. Cause he's a fantastic person to see watch in the ring. 
Uh, next up was your co-main event of the evening, and it was for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, and it was between Jay White defending his belt against Adam Cole. Baby. Adam Page and Kazuchiki Okada. Uh, and you had Jay White emerge victorious, pinning Adam Cole and beating the other uh, two I mentioned uh, in 21 minutes and four seconds. This should have been the main event. Yeah. Not going to lie about it. Yeah. This had everybody in the building already chanting, holy shit. Yep. Before anybody even locked up. And rightfully so. Okada is arguably the greatest wrestler on the planet today. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen his work, do yourselves a favor. Go out and search his matches. Enough said there. Jay White, who is absolutely on a tear right now, is your IWGP champion. And if you haven't seen him in the ring, do yourself a favor. Go search him as well. He is absolutely charismatic. He is a technician in the ring. You knew with these two coming over, it was going to be a big deal. It was just a matter of who they're going to plug and play with here. Obviously, with the injury bugs kind of happening as they were, yeah. it's now kind of fallen in this circumstance that they decided to do a four-way with former champion Hangman Adam Page, mm-hmm. who originally challenged Okada for the belt, and it did not fall in his favor because Jay White won the IWGP. So Adam Cole was kind of lurking in the mix, and then they've decided, you know, as of last Wednesday, that it was going to be a four-way match, which is perfect. Yeah. Because I was not excited to see them in a tag team match at all. Yeah. This match, Pad, what was your feelings about this? It was a good match overall. You know, I'm familiar with uh, all of the gentlemen. I haven't seen, uh, I had not seen White or Okada wrestle to this point, which I know is heresy in some people's eyes. But How hey, dare you? Hey, is what it is. Uh, but they did a really good job in the package, you know, that they bit, they put together, you know, kind of hyping this up. They're, they're, I forget who it was, but they're like, oh, this is a powder keg ready to explode. These are all main mm. inventors, you know, blah, blah, blah. But. You could tell it was going to be a hype and crazy match from when they went to do to start the match, and the refs kind of like looking around at all the guys in their four corners, and the crowd gave him a standing ovation at the start. Yeah, you know it was it was a great match. Ending was a little weird, but from start to almost the finish, it was a great match. Well, the ending. Let's talk about that. I mean, obviously, we talked about injuries in the card, mm-hmm. and I mean, Dak did have something going on. Like I say. And I, I can't stress enough, like I say, it, it, I've been trying to track down the official word about it. Like I say, it's rumored it was a work. I think that he maybe did get a little more injured, but it wasn't, it wasn't that serious, so that's why he came back. Because it looked like he was able to work with the arm when he came back in the match. So I'm just stressing, it's a rumor about the work. But this situation that we're going to talk about definitely was not a work. Oh, hell no. Adam Cole got dropped on his head. Yeah, he took... At some point during the match, he took a bad headshot. I believe, in my opinion, it was when he took the drop kick from Okada. Yeah, and it looked like he really whacked his head off yeah. the mat. Because if you if you dig up the footage uh, from that point on, he doesn't seem quite right. That he he seems like he's almost going through the motions, mm-hmm. and he's just kind of on instinct. Yeah, because he does take a Michinoku driver after that. Yep, and then they set him up for the rain man. Rainmaker ripcord, yeah, and he just collapses. Well, because wasn't there also at one point that like he took a he took somebody's move, and then he kind of just stood there, and then he fell down, and then he rolled out of the ring. Like it was something like that that was just weird. Earlier in the match, I think he did yeah. something like that, and then we came back in because he rolled right to the corner after he collapsed for the ripcord. Right, which everybody else in the ring, I don't think knew what was going on, but they knew it was bad because Jay White came in, threw Okada out, and then you know got Cole for the pen, and he definitely looked upset, but I don't think he realized what was going on at that moment. Right. Because at the end of the day, Jay White is still your IWGP champion, like yeah. I thought yep. was going to happen. Yep. And it was just one of the situations that I think 
with everything going on, they definitely adapted on the fly, mm-hmm. made a great match happen. Might not have been a perfect ending, but I don't fault it because no. it's an injury that you can't plan for. No. And the fact that Cole went on it, much like how Dak, you know, Dax came back to the ring too. I applaud him for trying to stick the match out. I mean, if you're really hurt, that's a situation. Yeah. But in Cole's situ- in Cole's case, that was a clear cut. Oh yeah. Situation that. Oh yeah. They immediately knew something was wrong. They just kind of rolled, did the pin. Yep. And you know, hopefully, it's not a long term thing for him. I'd love to see him back in the ring soon. Don't have any idea what's going on with him as we are recording right now. Uh, and then finally, it was your main event of the evening, and this was for the interim AEW World Championship. You had Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on John Moxley, and you had Moxley emerge victorious, pinning Tanahashi in 18 minutes and 14 seconds. Okay, so how we got here is kind of an interesting story because obviously we're talking injuries. Originally, this was supposed to be CM Punk versus Tanahashi. Yep. CM Punk got a foot injury somehow uh, at the yep. L.A. show, I believe. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. The L.A. Dynamite. Yep. Uh, and he's now out on injured reserve, got surgery, so we yep. don't have a timetable when he's coming back. Yep. AEW's situation for this is, okay, well, we'll have a title, uh, interim title match go down. John Moxley is going to be in it. And he will face the winner of a battle royal on an AEW Dynamite. That winner turned out to be Kyle O'Reilly. They had a match. Moxley prevailed. Mm-hmm. Kyle O'Reilly is now injured. Just, you know, the bad luck streak continues. Yeah. On the flip side, Goto and Tanahashi had their match for New Japan Pro Wrestling at Dominion. Their second biggest pay-per-view on their calendar year. Tanahashi wins. So now we finally get the dream match that everybody's been waiting for because Moxley and Tanahashi have been long overdue to fight. Mm-hmm. This match was good. Yeah, it was. I, but I just, in my opinion, I just feel that coming off the heels of that four-way. Yeah. It, the, the air and the energy got sucked out of the room yeah. a little bit because, like, the crowd was a little uh, burned out. Yeah, I mean, that's a situation that's going to happen when you have such a star-studded, you know, end half of your show. Well, and especially, like, you know, you had the Thunder Rosa-Tony Storm match, which people were excited for. People were going fucking bonkers during the Osprey-Cassidy match because Osprey was hitting Cassidy with, like, every finisher he had. Mm-hmm. He was going, like, Super Cena finisher, 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 finisher. Like, at one point, uh, Osprey was sitting there with, like, this shock look on his face. You know, like, the shock Pikachu meme, like, what the fuck do I have to do? Mm-hmm. You know, so the crowd was going nuts for that. Then they obviously went nuts because right after that was Claudio debuting. So nuts and crazy for that. Then they went nuts and crazy during the Fatal 4-Way. So you've got, what is it, 16, 18, 21. So basically for, like, 45 minutes straight, the crowd was going nuts. They were burnt out. Yeah, they to def- a certain degree. They definitely seemed it. And this match was a good match, but it wasn't like a memorable one in my eyes. This crowd was also weird during this match. Well, that's the whole thing that they were so heavily behind Tanahashi. Yeah. Moxley was the heel. In Chicago. Yeah, which, I mean, Jesus. it was a weird flip to see. But, I mean, that proves like Tanahashi's a legendary wrestler in, yeah. in New Japan. So yeah. a lot of the fans knew what they were getting here. And I think they were saying that that would have been a huge move to see him win the title. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. Moxley right. did get busted open during the match. I heard an accidental headbutt. Something like that, yeah. But, Much to the chagrin of his wife. Yeah, which it's like if he was just bleeding the bleed, hey. But if it was an accident, I mean, that does happen. Like I say, there's a lot of stuff that we're still trying to figure out with this Once card. is an accident, twice, three times, four times. It seems like he bleeds every match on a pay-per-view. Yeah, it's just kind of a weird it's like thing. like his thing. A weird thing he does. But at the end of the day, he does get the pin, yep. which is great. Yeah. And then we get to the ending. Which made no goddamn sense. Pat, let's break it down. So you get to the ending of the match, and then some of the Jericho Appreciation Society come out and start attacking Moxley while Tanahashi's just laying there 
on his face, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, then some of the, some other guys come out to help save Moxley, but it's not enough. More Jericho Appreciation Society. I think Hager was among the second group that came in. Yep. Came in, started attacking. Then you had Eddie Kingston and a whole bunch of others. It, basically, it was the two factions for blood and guts. Yeah. Came out and started fighting with each other, which didn't make any sense to me because if you just had this interim title match, mm. the match is in Chicago. Where does CM Punk hail from again? Sorry, I'm having amnesia. Uh, Chicago. Why the fuck would you not have CM Punk there to do the... I know it's cliche. I know it's been done before. But, hey, it makes for a really good fucking promo and a really great piece of art or advertisement you can plug on the side of a goddamn building. You remember the one they had in Cleveland for all those years with LeBron and the and the chalk? If you'd have had wherever, you know, the match would take place, whatever pay-per-view, put, a, put an ad like they had for LeBron in Cleveland with the chalk on the side of a building of Moxley and Punk standing there holding belts. Yeah, they could. Would have been a lot better than the shit they pulled. Oh, I agree, too, because... At the end of the day, a pay-per-view is supposed to be an event, is it not? Oh, yeah, it is. So why are we training this like a like an extended version of Dynamite? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how this came across yeah, at the end. it did. Because there's no purpose for it. Like, the fact that throughout the night, too, we forgot to mention about how Chris Jericho had to go throw a fireball and shoot, yeah, uh, shoot his face. Because reasons. Reasons. The, and it's like, why are we doing yeah. TV skits on a pay-per-view? Yeah. Like, that's the one thing that was driving me nuts about this. And we're placating into wall games, which I get. But at the same time, it's like, come on. This should have been a night to celebrate New Japan and AEW. You had the moment where Tanahashi and, and Moxley had that weird kind of stare off in the middle of the ring. Tanahashi could could have left. He could have hit cult of personality. Punk could have came out on the top of the, the stage, did the belt raise so he didn't have to walk that far. Moxley could have done it back too, so he set up that for the future. Instead, we get this schmoz ending where everybody's running in the ring, and then it's capped off by Cesaro, who gets his own music right. played, right? Because we need that. Because hey, it's a surprise; he's here. Yeah, and then he eliminates everybody. Yep, European uppercuts for everybody. Everybody gets Couple taken out. Swings. So, what's the incentive to watch the match on Wednesday? Yeah, there is none. You're kind of telegraphing how it's going to go. Exactly, because you're because you're not going to have Cesaro debut. Run roughshod over the entire Jericho Appreciation Society, only to flip around in seventy-two hours, whatever it is. After have Jericho Appreciation Society merge victorious and win. Yeah, like it just it didn't make a lot of damn sense. And if you do, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, so that's why I say I fault him on that, and it definitely took away from the show for me. Sure, just because. I should never feel like I'm watching an average show of a program Yeah. if I'm watching a pay-per-view, which is supposed to be an event. Yeah. You just don't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm sorry. Like, if you want to foreshadow something that's coming up. Sure. Sure. But to treat it like it was in, like, a WCW back in the days mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, the 2000 era. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you can't really do that. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. That just doesn't work for this show. And I think that left a bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths, as we've been talking to some of our fellow friends on social media about. So that being said, Pat, I mean, let's tie it up. Overall grade did you give this? I'd give it a C. You know, okay. I, I enjoyed a couple of the matches, but the rest of it was just kind of like, yeah, you know, didn't care for really any of the pre-show. The pre-show, some of the matches on pre-show were good, but it didn't leave me going, wow, that was amazing. But overall, I'd give it a C. I gave it a B minus to a B, and here's why. I thought for in-ring, they definitely delivered a lot of great matches. Mm-hmm. 
I can't really think of too much of a bad match looking at the card except the pre-show. I think the pre-show, a uh, lot to be desired. I would say for pre-show, pre-show typically is your way of selling the card to people who are kind of on the fence because, hey, listen, let's not, get, let's not get it twisted. Things are expensive these days. Oh, absolutely. Especially here in the United States. I can't speak for overseas, but here in the United States, things are expensive. You know, so what is it, $50 for the pay-per-view? Mm-hmm. $50 is a lot of money these days. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. $50 is basically a good portion of people's tank of gas. You know, so the ideally, if you got somebody on the fence who's thinking about getting it, but they're not quite sure, you want to put something on the pre-show that really sells them on, hey, all right, I'm going to get my money's worth out of this if I get this card. Pre-show really, I don't think, got that across. No, I don't think it did. I mean, it was it was solid when you saw Swerve and Lee in their tag match. That was the only thing that was really memorable. Right. Everything else is disposable, in my opinion, about that. But once you got to the main card, you did get a great showcase of what New Japan brings. And all their wrestlers really stepped up in the moment. They really got some time to shine. And I think in certain situations, you did get a star-making performance out of a few wrestlers. I think the Will Osprey-Orange Cassidy match is what everybody's talking about. Yeah. And rightfully so, because that is your match of the night. There's no question of it. Orange Cassidy, we'd lo- I'd love to see more of this side of Orange Cassidy in the ring when we see him in AEW. The only points I'll take away is we didn't hear Jane, but, yeah. but that's out of his hands. But, but they didn't get the music cleared. I mean, it is what it is, damn it. But to look at the card overall, I thought it delivered where it needed to, and mm-hmm. that's being an exhibition of two companies. That is a good thing. But I think when you have moments like that ending in the main event, which really took a whole letter grade off on my scale, and then you have other situations, like I say, with the FTR thing, in my opinion, it just it didn't look like that was they were trying to tell a different story with like the Willis Reed coming back. If that was the case, I don't like it. If he was legitimately hurt and came back, I do like it because he came back to finish the match out. Mm-hmm. And I will always give wrestlers credit when they come back and do that. If, but like I say, if it's done like a storyline purpose, and you know, like I say, it's, I don't know. I've been trying to track down. I'm just hearing a lot of rumors. So if you're going by those rumors, I think that took away from the match because I would love to see more FTR versus United Empire. I know we'll see that over in New Japan, and I'm completely here for that. But that did take away from this card. And I think in a situation, too, where you had you know, certain other moments that really kind of just stuck out. Like I said, basically anything with the Jericho Appreciation Society getting forced down my throat. Yeah. Like, why? Like, I'm sorry. He had the match, and that was good. That's all we needed to see him for. Blood and Guts will sell itself. It's freaking war games. Like, you don't need to sell anything else than that. So why did we have a stupid fireball spot? Like I was, I kept waiting to say, like we're gonna go to picture in picture. Mm-hmm. Legitimately, I was waiting for that after seeing that. I'm like, come on, this is not what I'm paying to see as a customer. And I think, like I say, certain endings, one is out of everybody's hands, mm-hmm. and then that's the Adam Cole situation, which I, I can't stress enough. I hope he's healthy and you know he'll be back in the ring soon. That's a situation you can't really fault anybody on, but I think in certain other situations like the Miro one, right. that definitely took away a little bit. Yeah. But overall, to just tie it up, it's a show worth watching, especially if you have never seen New Japan Pro Wrestling before. I thought they had a great showcase. If I'm trying to get somebody into watching it, a.k.a. Pad, Hi. I show him that Will Osprey orange Cassidy match. Oh, yeah. Now he's more prone to go watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. But being connected as I am and talking to you guys, I know that shit don't air weekly. No, it doesn't. But we can definitely hook you up with uh, watching it for the next pay-per-view. We'll have to see about that. We'll talk, obviously, more in-depth about that as it comes along. But that being said, 
ODPH Society, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your takeaways from AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Forbidden Door pay-per-view? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? And if you want even more pro wrestling content, definitely make sure to check out the latest episode of 607 TWS on Twitch and in podcast form, along with Blogs Count Anywhere, the ODPH complimentary blog to pro wrestling found at odphpodcast.com. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, all. I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And let's keep that wrestling talk going, shall we? Yeah. Because it's a big week for pro wrestling. Yes, it is. Because this Saturday. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Live from Las Vegas at mm-hmm. the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Yes. Not Allegiant Stadium as previously reported. Yeah. Uh, because, Pad, why did the WWE had to move their show? Uh, they decided to run a stadium show the same weekend that UFC was in town for International Fight Week, which is kind of like their Super Bowl. Uh, their biggest week of the year. They, they usually have a bunch of former fighters come in, and they usually stack the card, make the card, make a big old card. Uh, they decided to have the Money in the Bank pay per view uh, the same night and the same weekend, mere hours apart, uh, in the same town. Which not always the best move. You never want to go head to head with the UFC on International Fight Week, unless you're the NFL, and well, the NFL's off this time of year. Yeah, it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense because obviously the UFC International Fight Week, which kicked off Monday, June twenty seventh, going through till Sunday, June July third, is basically the celebration of MMA in the UFC in Vegas. Like they shut the city down. Like it, you're not going to get anything really other pop culture events going on. Mm-hmm. They're going to generate as much buzz as in Vegas. So the uh, WWE decided to take a big L on this one because they thought that they were going to be able to steal some thunder from the UFC. It didn't happen, but they still have a very noteworthy card happening. Because, Pad, what is the card? Money in the bank. Correct. Now, to our listeners at home that might be not as familiar with how Money in the Bank works. Yep. Break it down for us. So Money in the Bank is a ladder match that takes place between five individuals who have to climb a ladder and uh, up in the air, uh, what would you say, maybe about 10 feet up in the air, 5, yeah. ten, five 10 feet up in the air, something, take something, something like, that. like that, is suspended a briefcase. And inside said briefcase, metaphorically speaking, because there's not a literal contract in there, but metaphorically speaking, inside the briefcase is a contract for a guaranteed title opportunity of his or her choosing anywhere, anytime, any place. So it could be at a house show in, you know, East... East New Jersey, you know, on June 5th, you know, whatever, or September 3rd, you know, whatever it is, you know, it could be on some random episode of Raw, some random episode of SmackDown, you know, it could be a pay-per-view, you know, there have been instances where it's been declared, there have been instances where it's kind of undeclared, they just show up randomly, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those fun things and fun little gimmicks WWE does that adds a little bit of intrigue and a little bit of spice throughout the year because whoever wins it, male or female, you kind of sit there and you start speculating, oh, is this the most? Because you start seeing some of the, the title picture folks a little different, like, ooh, 
Gonna hurt, look a little hurt. Maybe maybe this is the moment. Oh, they're gonna do it here. Oh, that's the music. Oh, that's the fake out. They're not doing it. Yeah, it's always been a fun match that has now rolled into its own event because yeah. it is a career-defining moment for many superstars when they get this. Unless your name is Baron Corbin. Hey. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't happen in your favor. Baron Corbin's one. Otis is another. Otis is another. Uh, what is it? Also, uh, Damian Sandow. J- uh, Jinder Mahal. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, in, in certain situations, it can definitely be a star-making performance. You see that with Edge. You see that with CM Punk when he was in yeah. WWE. Ziggler. Yep, you have moments in time where a wrestler will now become a main eventer when they get a run with the title. We'll say the greatest cash-in of all time, in my opinion, Seth freaking Rollins. Yep, in the middle of a WrestleMania match. Yeah, didn't see that coming. No, so that's the cool thing about this event, that there is a lot of unpredictability that goes on with this. Mm -hmm. Because, like we said, is a career-defining moment in some wrestler's case that they're now going to get an opportunity, whenever that comes up, to cash in and become in a title match that maybe they never would see before. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a it's a very interesting concept that has been rolled out, but this is where the fun begins because once you get that briefcase, like Pat alluded to, yep. it's a 24-7 cash-in. Uh-huh. You can do it at a house show. You can do it on TV. You can do it at a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique concept, and this is definitely now grown into the WWF's fifth biggest pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. So that being said, let us break down the card from Las Vegas this weekend. Yeah, so the first match we're going to talk about is for the United States Championship match, and it is a singles matchup between Bobby Lashley taking on the champion, Theory. So if you haven't been following, because I have to play a lot of YouTube tag, I know Pat is a religious watcher of WWE Raw. Yeah. Austin Theory is now like the hand-picked mm-hmm. future of the WWE by Vince McMahon. He's like he's like the modern-day version of what Drew McIntyre was back in like his early run, where he was like, "Oh, you're the chosen one. You're the you're the you're the future champion type of thing." But they're like they're obviously not going that route in case something happens in much the same way it did with Drew. Yeah. So this one, he's now gotten the United States Championship, and he has a very very tough task ahead of him with Bobby Lashley. He's been getting a rub and a push. I don't think we've seen from somebody getting called up since maybe the Shield. Um, that, that's the first one that came to my mind. With like they made their debut and they're getting a serious push. Was the, like theories getting was the Shield maybe with with Roman then Dean Ambrose now John Moxley and uh, Seth Rollins. That's a really good question. I'm going to say I think there's somebody in there between. Okay. They came up from NXT and really lit everything on fire. Uh, I'm going to say actually Kevin Owens, I think. Got, oh, got, yeah. Got that, a bigger push when he came that's up. That's a good one, yeah. But Theory is along that line. I mean, he didn't spend a ton of time in NXT, mm-hmm. more from the Evolve days. Right. But since he's been up here and since they, you know, his first go around, he did not have much success. Let's be honest about it. Right. That. Uh, I know he's tagging with, um, what, Angel Garza? Yeah. Or Angel Garza. And, Angel Garza, and, yeah. So um, well, then he went back to NXT and he was a member of the Gargano family. And, and yep. from that whole thing, it was more focused on Indy Harwell and, and Dexter Loomis at times, at least for me watching that whole storyline, it honestly felt like theory was forgotten at times. So when he got the call up, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Sure. Well, I think they're very high on him, but I think the first time, like I said, when he came up with on hell and I apologize for messing his name up earlier, it was a situation that he wasn't ready. Right. And I think yeah. they figured out. And I mean, you can say what you will. It just, it wasn't his time then, but since he, he has come back up, he's definitely found his role on the roster. Found charisma. Cause damn, is that kid charismatic as all hell? Yeah. And now he's in a, a prime position in a very good match against Lashley. I think he retains here. Yeah. 
I mean, Lashley could win, but I think they're kind of setting it up that Lashley might not get this opportunity because he might fight Roman Reigns at some point. Mm, maybe. That's where I'm kind of leaning with this. I'm thinking it's going to be a theory, too, as well. Uh, next up is for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championships, uh, that being both the Raw and SmackDown Tag Team Championships, uh, where you have the Usos and Jimmy and Jay Uso defending their belts against the Street Profits in Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford. Well, this is always going to be must-watch TV. Uh-huh. Street Profits are amazing. Usos are one of the best tag teams in the world, not named FTR. So this match, though, I keep on hearing there's going to be a stipu- stipulation added Friday mm, of, some, could, of some sort. I'm hearing rumors it. about it. could see it. Uh, and I think that's kind of going to be an interesting dynamic. What I would love to see, I don't know if they would actually do this. Though. I'd love to see a Falls Count Anywhere matchup with these two. No, 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 my friend. I think to raise the stakes, Yeah. Street Profits lose, they have to break up as a team. Ooh, there, there have been rumors about that. I, that's what I said. I've been hearing a lot. And obviously, if you see Montez Ford lately, he has been looking absolutely in perfection shape the man is hitting the gym yes like he looks like he's literally been carved out of stone yeah like he is just yeah the physique is just on point right now and i don't doubt that we might see that that they'll add that stipulation like you guys can never fight for the belts again and then they just they part ways they just say okay well you know what we can't do this let's try doing a singles run and see how we do so that's why i'm gonna say uso's retain but i would not be upset if they did that match in three profits one that's the one good thing about this is that you're going to have a great tag team match no matter how you spill it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, next up is a singles matchup for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship, and you've got Ronda Rousey defending her belt against Natalia. Okay, so this match has uh, definitely got a little bit of intrigue to it. There's been a lot of online uh, jabs thrown, mm-hmm. which, Pat, how is your feeling about that in wrestling? Boy, howdy. Uh, I don't mind it. It's always fun, but like it's crossing that line where... I don't know if it's a shoot. I don't know if it's a work, and I'm feeling uncomfortable about some of it. Yeah, there's always something when it's involving a uh, mainstream star coming into wrestling that you don't know if the line has been crossed, if we're walking too close. And Ronda Rousey is a very polarizing figure in pro wrestling. Uh, some fans are very behind her. Some are uh, a little more critical than others. I'll say just to give you an example of some of the back and forth that's been going on, uh, you did have Ronda Rousey at one point tweet towards uh, Natalia, quote, Uh-huh. We both know your face is too paralyzed by Botox to cry at this point. Close quote. Yeah. Uh, it, that, that kind of stuff. So when you're getting this kind of shots coming by Natalia, who obviously has a long, rich history with the WWE and, and you know, obviously coming up with, with the great heart dynasty, uh, you don't know exactly uh, how much is real and how much is not, so to speak, with mm-hmm. those shots. However, though, Natalia getting a title shot is a big thing. Uh, I know that this past week she was uh, dressing up as Ronda, taking some shots there. Yeah. They're heavily alluding to a Shayna Baszler mm-hmm. uh, run-in at some point, which yeah. I'm going to say this. I think Ronda retains outright. Oh, I do too. But I don't doubt that you might not have Shayna Baszler interfere here. Yeah, I think there's going to be definitely some interference. And I think that that's going to set up for their match at SummerSlam, which yeah. I am 1,000% yeah. here for. Because I think that Ronda's last couple matches between, what was it, Charlotte, I think, and then mm-hmm. also this one, Shane has been in vignettes, been helping out Ronda with kind of her ground game wrestling. Yeah, because they have a, they're actually real life best friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're they've trained together. They're part of the original four horse women uh, that was from MMA with yeah. uh, Jessamyn Duke and Marina yeah. Sheriff. Uh, so that being said, like I still think Natalia sets that up um, 
to basically give it to Shayna to yeah. fight at Main or yeah. uh, SummerSlam. Which listen, I can't wait to see that match. That'd be good. That's gonna be a fun match. Uh, next up is a singles matchup for the WWE Raw Women's Championship, and that is between Bianca Belair defending her belt against Carmella. Yes, Carmella is a late replacement, uh, yeah. I believe, because Rhea Ripley was originally supposed to get this, but she is not cleared. She uh, she's got what is it? She's got like a something with her brain, like she's got a legitimate brain injury, and then I think something with her spine as well. Yeah, so she's so it's something real nasty. It is. Uh, so she's not cleared. Nope. Uh, to be a part of this match. Uh, obviously hoping she gets a speeding healthy recovery too. Yeah, yeah. But Carmella is now the uh, plug and play here. Uh, mm-hmm. She won. Uh, what was it? It was a five way match for the belt. Something like that. Yeah. To get the opportunity. Yeah. So this one, I mean, you're just filling time to get to pretty much because I th- I think that we if Rhea's ready to go, you're gonna get Rhea versus Bianca mm-hmm. at SummerSlam. Or I would love to see, depending on what happens in Money in the Bank, Becky Lynch gets the title shot. If she decides to cash in there, like if she does an early shot call mm-hmm. and says, like, you don't have to worry about your opponent at SummerSlam, it's going to be me. Yeah. I could see that, but I, I'm going to tell you this. I hate, if that's the case, mm-hmm. to waste the money in the bank because Becky Becky's a superstar. You don't, you yeah. don't, she doesn't need the briefcase yeah. like to carry it. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. There was one year uh, Alexa Bliss won it and then cashed in on Ronda that night. Yeah. So I mean, they might there, do that. There's, there's precedent. They might do that, but I, considering how we're what a year in change return from uh, when Becky came back, it would just make just per- about just about a year. It, yeah. would, it would make perfect sense. But I just I, I don't think the internet fans and rightfully so about this would be cool if it was like another 18 minute squash because Bianca has had a hard hitting match with Rhea mm-hmm. and Becky cashes in. Right. I could see that happening here yeah. though. Like yeah. not you know like for SummerSlam. So. Wait and see about that, but uh, Bianca for the win here. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing, too, as well. No, I think they're going to make Carmella look good and like because she's been tagging with, uh, what is it, Zelina Vega, you know, lately. They have that yeah. thing going on. You know, but I think they're going to get – it's going to be a good match. I think it's going to be a reminder, like, hey, Carmella can do more than just tag team wrestling. But uh, ultimately, at the end, I think it's going to be Bianca retaining. Yeah, I mean, Carmella's kind of almost, almost filling in that, like, Dolph Ziggler role where yeah. you kind of plug and play. And, yeah. and, and she's – Love it or hate it, I mean, she's kind of earned that spot. Yeah, no, she has. So it makes sense. Uh, Next up is the first of the two uh, Money in the Bank ladder matches, and this is uh, the women's one, uh, where your participants are Lacey Evans, Alexa Bliss, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, uh, Asuka, Shotzi, and Becky Lynch. Yeah, see, that being said, like, I personally would have loved if Shayna Baszler won and got in there with the briefcase. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you get in a way better storyline. But looking at who's been in this match, like, I'll tell you who I want to win mm-hmm. and who I think is going to win. Okay. I would love to see Liv Morgan win. That'd be good. I think that give somebody that's never had that chance really to run on that level, give them the shot. Like, if Shotzi won it, won it too, I'd be ecstatic as well. But I'm looking at everybody else. I mean, uh, Lacey and Raquel, yeah, that, that would make sense, too. Mm-hmm. Alexa's already had it, like you touched upon. Yep. And, I mean, Asuka's Asuka. I just think that if you gave it to Liv or Shotzi, I think we we get a better storyline out of it. Especially because right. Liv, Liv has been trying to cash in so many times for a title shot, and she's always come up just close, just close. Yeah. And she hasn't been pushed that way since. Yeah. She's always been thrown in makeshift tag teams. Yeah. Like, I think it would make a lot more sense. But the minute Becky got added to this, I'm like, 
You're yeah. gonna give it to Becky. It's it's probably gonna end up being Becky. I don't think it'll be Oscar because Oscar just got it a couple years ago. Although admittedly, she never got a chance to really run with it because she showed up on Raw the following night and got the belt because Becky announced she was pregnant. Mm. Alexa's won it at least once. You know, Lacey Evans. I think it'd be good, but she just came back, so I don't think they necessarily give that run yet. Shotzi'd be cool, but I don't think they're ready to to go there quite yet. So I ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be Becky, but I would love to see Liv get it. Just, yeah. she, like you said, she's been close. She's been on the cusp of, of winning so many times. Give her the chance and give her the run. You can set up a Becky versus Bianca match without without the briefcase. Mm-hmm. Give it to give it to uh, Liv and let her have some fun and see what she can do with it. Absolutely. Uh, and then lastly, and certainly not leastly, is the men's Money in the Bank ladder match for the uh, with a title opportunity for the World Championship. I, no, I'm not misspeaking. Roman is not listed on this card as of recording. Could Correct. That, could that change? Maybe. But as no, of I think he's out. As of this recording, he is not in the mat, uh, on the card. Uh, and the participants for the men's Money in the Bank ladder match are Seth freaking Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Omos, Sami Zayn, Riddle, and a final entrant yet to be determined. Okay, so I'm already going to tell you how this is going down. <laughs> yeah. You are not going to tell me otherwise. Cody Rhodes is winning this thing. I think so, too. Because you know what they're going to do? And I, I'm going to laugh hysterically because all of a sudden the ring is going to get cleared. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see somebody up there. Probably Sami Zayn. Because I this, I this is how it's going to go down. Yeah. And if I'm right, give me my flowers. Acknowledge me. As Roman would say, Sammy's going to get up there, and all of a sudden you hear this: "There's more than one wrestling royalty and wrestling family." More than one royal family, yeah, or whatever it is. And then the music kicks in: "Adrenaline in, in, in my soul, something, something, Cody Rhodes." So Sammy's like about ready to grab it, and he's freaking out because he's like, "What? what what's going to happen? What? What, what, what am I doing here?" And yeah, then coming through the crowd. Yeah, it won't even be through the entryway. It'll be Cody. And then, like, Samuel drop the briefcase, and then Cody will pick it up. I could I could totally see that. I, I would love to see Sammy get it just because the whole storyline they've been doing where, like, he won't use it to cash in on Roman. He'll use it to cash Like, they had this whole thing on SmackDown last week where Sammy and Paul Heyman were talking backstage with whoever was interviewing him. And, the, and Sammy was like, how dare you infer and insinuate I would use my belt to cash in on Roman? You know, big man. He was talking to Paul with all the terminology Roman uses, and, and Heyman's, like, smiling, you know, kind of evilly, and like, oh, Pat and Sammy on the shoulder, kind of rubbing his shoulder, like, ah, such a good henchman. And Sammy goes, I would never use the briefcase to cash in on Roman. And, and Paul goes, yeah. And Sammy goes, I would use it to cash in on Brock. And Paul just immediately takes his hand off, puts it down, and goes, wait, what the hell did you just say? I think it'd be funny to see Sammy get it. I don't think he's going to get it, though. I th- I think ultimately, end of the day, it's either going to be one of two people, Cody if he's healthy, mm-hmm. or Seth. Just because I think Seth's, Seth's run with the briefcase was legendary. And, and some of the most fun moments I remember seeing on television with that briefcase. You know, if, if so if it's not going to be Cody, I think it's going to be Seth. Yeah, I mean, Seth would make a lot more sense, too. I'm just saying, if I'm right, though, I'm, I'm trying to do my Roman Reigns. Acknowledge me. Right. Because I am not giving up that doubt that he wins it, and everybody will forget he he has the briefcase. Right. So when he officially comes back, like let's say it's Survivor Series time, then he's going to blow the roof off the place. Right. And cash it in. And then everybody's going to go completely crazy. 
Because the other chance you got, which I'm not doubting happens either, and I, I don't know how I feel about this. Right. Seth wins. Yeah. And then during Brock Roman, he cashes in. Right. Well, and, and I think the Cody thing could be a, a little interesting storyline-wise just because we know how in the character Roman likes to control everything and control the opponents and control this and control that. He gets a little frustrated and flustered, like, I can't do anything about this. The man's not here. I, I can't stop him from doing what I – from cashing in on me. I, I don't know where he is. You know, he's, he's hiding from me, blah, blah, blah. I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, that definitely could be. So there's going to be a lot of storylines heading out of this. But I'm like I say, all signs point to me for Cody Rhodes. You can't tell me differently. The Rhodes lander cometh, and he's going to get that title shot. He can cash it in wherever he comes in. It'll be one of the biggest pops you hear all year. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of stuff to watch this Saturday, though, with, involving the WWE. So hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Money in the bank 2022. What's your predictions? How do you think this card's going to go? And let's talk that pro wrestling talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book, Book of Lies, Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar, and learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook, and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye! Coming back for another segment in this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and let's talk that UFC talk. Yeah! We alluded to last segment that obviously something big was going on in Vegas, and that is International Fight Week. The UFC celebration of MMA, and they do their Hall of Fame ceremony. There's a lot of events involving the UFC going on in town. It is a huge event, but it's always, always, always capped off by a stellar pay-per-view card. And this year is no exception, mm-hmm. but a couple storylines going on with this one. So, yeah. Pad, let's talk about UFC 276. Yeah, so UFC 276 is taking place this Saturday, July 2nd, 2022, from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, a couple things we got to mention, uh, first of which is on the early prelim card on ESPN, ESPN Plus, and UFC Fight Pass, uh, you have a women's bantamweight division matchup between Jessica Rose Clark and Julia uh, Sterlenko. Uh, and why are we talking about this? Not because of either of the two fighters taking place. Well, specifically one of the fighters, that being Jessica Rose Clark, who appeared on the MMA uh, Hour with Ariel Hawani just the other day, who she told Ariel Hawani back in February, if I ever get booked on a numbered UFC pay-per-view, I will come out to the Shawn Michaels entrance theme. Uh, sexy Boy. Sexy Boy. So if you watch the early fight, Early prelims on ESPN, ESPN Plus, or UFC Fight Pass, you will see Jessica Rose Clark come out to the Shawn Michaels. I'm not a sexy boy. Sexy boy. I'm here for that. That should be real funny. That's going to be a real uh, interesting fight, too, I got to say. Yeah. The actual early prelims, I mean, have got some very notable uh, names on that. Uriah Hall is fighting on there. Uriah Hall's on there. Uh, uh, Andre Muniz. Jessica Eyes on there. Brad Tavares. Yeah, Macy Barber. Like, they have got a very loaded card. But this is what the UFC usually does for fight week, so we want to stress that out. And then when we go to the prelims, yeah. a couple names here that uh, definitely jump out at us. Yeah, so the first of which is a welterweight division matchup between Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone. Uh, Donald Cerrone's on this because uh, the fight between him and Joe Lozon has been booked twice. It's been called off twice. And Dana White has said he's not making it a third time. Correct, which, I mean, at this stage, there's no sense to do it. Cerrone's only got a couple left in him. He's yeah. definitely earned that right to get at least one more, and especially against Jim Miller. I mean, for old-school fans like yours truly, 
I'm excited for this. Yeah. Because these are two guys that are going to go in there and scrap. This is not going to be uh, anybody really worried about how they're looking at the end of the fight. They're going to definitely go in and throw some hands. Cerrone's a plus 80 or 180 to Jim Miller's a minus 110 or 210 right now. So, uh, like, listen, if I got to make a prediction, I honestly don't know. Because yeah, no, neither do I. Cerrone, like we say, is on the back end of the career. A lot of tread on the tires. Nothing wrong with saying that when he eventually retires. He's an instant Hall of Famer. There's no question about that. But don't sleep on Jim Miller. No. Nope. Once you hear that Creedence Clearwater revival, he comes out, he is ready to go. That has been the trademark. And him and his brother have always been notable fighters in the UFC because they will scrap with anybody. Jim has definitely been on a hot streak as of late. I know he's in the back end of his career, too. This will be a fun fight for the fans. I'm going to take Jim Miller, though. Um, don't really rooting for, you know, like have a rooting interest. I just think Miller is on that kind of level that, you know, if he puts a couple more together, he might get into, like, that Ooh. title talk, which would be weird. But then again, we saw Glover Teixeira you know, at age 40-whatever get yeah. the title. So, <laughs> like, it's possible. Yeah, I think it's possible. And then we go to the actual main events. If yeah, you will. so the main card. Uh, first matchup we're going to talk about is in the welterweight division between Robbie Lawler and Brian uh, Barbaria. Yeah, so this one is a little interesting. Robbie Lawler, uh, you know, we talk about great fighters. We talk a lot of tread in the tires. Uh, 40 years old, just turned 40 back in uh, March. Yeah, Robbie is on that back end. And listen, there's no shame in saying that. He has been in some of the most legendary fights in UFC history, if you don't believe me. Go search him and Rory McDonald mm-hmm. and see how much of a badass warrior he is. On the flip side, his opponent, Brian, uh, just turned 33 back in May. Yeah, so this will be an interesting fight for Barriera. I I don't know exactly what we're going to see out of Robbie because the thing is Robbie has struggled in his last couple of fights. Yeah, well, looking at his uh, record in 45 professional matches, he has a record of 29 wins, 15 losses, one no contest. He won his last fight against Nick Diaz via TKO, and then parentheses, and I got to admit, never seen this before, retirement. Yeah. Uh, so, But before that, he was on a four-fight losing streak, losing to the likes of Neil Magny uh, via unanimous decision, Colby Covington via unanimous decision, Ben Askren via a bulldog choke, uh, and then Rafael Dos Anjos via unanimous decision. Well, we also have to remember, too, though, with um, Askren, that was the weird uh, Askren got dropped on his head. Should've oh, stopped, yeah. Should have stopped the fight, and then it got weird because yeah. he got him in that headlock against the cage, yeah. and the referee stopped it at the time, and yeah. it was, like, real puzzling. The Colby Covington, he got destroyed. Like, <laughs> that that was embarrassing. That, that hurt watching. Because, yeah. I, one, I can't stand Colby, and two, Robbie just got outclassed. Like, it, it wasn't even close. Same thing with the Magni fight. He just, he, uh, I hate saying this, but he's lost a step. And obviously, being against Father Time, you're going to. So there's no shame in saying that. Mm-hmm. So this one, I would take the upset with Barbera, uh, but... You know, Robbie might have one more left in him. Yeah. Well, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, looking at Brian's record, uh, he has 25 professional matches, 17 wins, 8 losses, currently on a two-fight winning streak. Uh, he beat Matt Brown in his last fight by a split decision. That was back in March. Uh, and then prior to that, his last fight was a win against Darian Weeks by unanimous decision. That was in December of last year. I'm going to go with Brian. Yeah, like that, and that's a solid pick. Like I say, it's not going to be a pretty fight. It, it I don't want to say boring, but... I think you're going to get a lot of the same grappling, and you know Brian's going to slow down the pace. It should be a good matchup. Is it going to be like the sexiest matchup of the night? No, no, but exactly. It should be good. It'll be a good matchup. Like I'm not saying it's going to be a bad fight. It's just if you're looking for like some really crazy highlights, 
probably not going to happen here. But it's it's no shame. It's just Robbie's on that back end. Robbie is going to stay in there until the final bell. So trust me, he'll show up and fight. And for Brian, it's a big fight for him. So if you oh, can yeah. pull this off, like listen, more power to him. Next up is the bantamweight division matchup between Pedro Munoz taking on Sean O'Malley. Well, 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 Pad, here we are. Uh-huh. The Sugar Show has arrived. Mr. O'Malley. Yep. One of the most polarizing figures in MMA. Mm-hmm. Some people really love him. Yes. Some people absolutely cannot stand him. Yes. But he does have that it factor that you can't help but watch him. He is finally facing a very highly ranked opponent in Pedro Munoz. Mm-hmm. O'Malley is a big favorite, minus 260 against mm. Munoz, two, plus 220. Interesting. So uh, let me ask you this, Pad. You've seen O'Malley fight a few times. Yep. Where do you think this fight is going to go? I just want to bring up uh, O'Malley's record is 16 professional matches, 15 wins, one loss. That one loss coming to Mar- coming against Marlon Vera, who knocked him out at UFC 252 back in August of 2020. Well, remember his leg got destroyed and they stopped. Right. Um, so I'm just, I mean, I'm just looking at like names I recognize on his record, and that's kind of like the only one I really recognize. Uh, the rest of them are guys that you know they have pages, but like I don't, they don't jump out at me. And then on the flip side, you've got Pedro Munoz's record in 27 matches, 19 wins, 7 losses, 1 no contest, currently on a two-fight losing streak, lost to Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo in his last two fights. I mean, the last time Sean O'Malley went up against somebody I know and kind of like a semi-ranked opponent, he lost. So I'm kind of hoping for something different because that fight was not very good for him. No, I mean, the thing about O'Malley, I mean, he came up through the Contender Series, I believe. Ultimate Fighter, yeah. Ultimate Fighter. No, yeah, yeah, he was on... He did have a fight on Dana White's Contender Series okay, 2, two back in July of 2017. Then he was on the Ultimate Fighter, a new world champion. Uh, he did, was on the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, so, I mean, he's come from the reality era, so to speak. And, and and let me just stress this. Going on the Ultimate Fighter is not a joke. No. So I'm not using that as, like, a downplay of him. But that's how he's gained this buzz because he came in there, he's knocking people out, he made a big splash, and that's what you need to do if you're on a show like this. So, like, I'm not faulting him for it. But in all honesty, since he's been in the UFC on the main shows, he's been given that hype train push, much like Paige Van Zant was, mm-hmm. much like Sage Northcutt. So we really haven't seen a lot out of him that said, okay, he's the real deal. However, though... I am going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to say he does knock out Munoz. Okay. This is going to be a tough test. This is not going to be a quick knockout. If he knocks him out in the first round, I'd be very shocked. I think he's going to stop him via strikes in the second. Okay. The one thing that Munoz needs to do, and I think every fighter that's gone up against O'Malley needs to do this as well, or future fighters, Mm -hmm. you got to take his legs out. You got to hit him with inside leg kicks early. You got to take that mobility away because what O'Malley does, and he's very smart about this. And I know that you know the rainbow colored hair or, yeah. what, or whatever he's coloring his hair for this fight. I think it's purple. Probably showing me. Whatever the case is, like he throws you off that game that he does not look like a your typical fighter, right? But he's smart. He has a very high IQ for the sport. So. Take away the tattoos, take away the hair dye, take away all the nonsense. Mm-hmm. He's going to go in there, and he's definitely going to push the pace. For Munoz, he needs to take him out. That He has to stay stationary because if you let O'Malley stick and move, he's going to outpoint you, and then he's going to take you apart. 
and that's his game plan. And that's the easiest way to, to yeah. for him. He's got to do that. He's got to make Munoz fight his fight, and Munoz needs to really just take him out of the legs. If you can get him to the ground, that would be even better. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Munoz's ground game is per se, um, but it's going to be a difficult task for O'Malley. But I'm going to say this. If O'Malley doesn't do it here, he's never going to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, and he is currently on a three-fight win streak. He's also on a three-fight knockout streak. All of his last fights have ended via knockout. Yeah. Good, good Lord. Yeah, I mean, he's got some power. I mean, that and that's something for that bantamweight division that they need. I'm just fearing that he could be like the next uh, Cody Garbrandt. Mm. Where, you, I mean, you have those flashy knockouts, but you turn into a one-trick pony. Yeah. For O'Malley, he's got to show me something here. And like I say, he's got to win this fight. I'm going to say, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, though. I'm going to say second-round knockout. Okay. That's where I'm going to go with this. Next up. Next up is uh, in the middleweight division where you've got Shane Strickland taking on uh, Alex uh, Pereira. So this one is an interesting story, and I did not realize this. Uh Uh-huh. Because I'm looking at an article on ESPN.com, and Mark Ramondi has brought up a point that I did not know about uh, Pereira. Uh Uh-huh. Pereira has uh, history being a professional kickboxer. Hmm. Well, yeah, I'm looking at uh, his kickboxing record, which is incomplete. He has a record of, wow, they do not, uh, there it is, 33 wins, uh, 21 of them by knockout, and then seven losses, two of them by knockout. And going by the ESPN article, I'm just going to quote this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, quote, he has been a professional kickboxer since 2012, and not just any pro kickboxer. Pereira is an absolute stud in the sport, having won the Glory Kickboxing Championship at both middleweight and light heavyweight. He also owns two victories, Pad, over UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya, including a knockout, end quote. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at one. One was on the uh, March 4th, uh, 2017, and I'm going based off of, because it goes month and then two numbers, so I'm going saying it's month and then year, day. So, yeah, one of them was back in 2017. The other one was in 2016, yeah. Uh, fifth round for one, third round for the other fight. Yeah. So that being said, this fight just got a little more interesting. Yeah. I'm saying, uh, Pereira's record in six professional MMA matches. He has a record of five wins, one loss, his one loss coming in his inaugural professional debut, uh, that, which was back in October of 2015. Since then he has won every other fight. Uh, and since he joined the UFC, he's currently on a two fight winning streak, beating Bruno Silva, by unanimous decision on his last fight, but that was back in March. Uh, and then beating his uh, previous opponent, Andreas uh, Mikulids, via TKO, flying knee and punches. That was at UFC 268 back in November of last year, where he earned a performance of the night bonus. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got uh, Shane Strickland, who is in 28 professional matches, 25 wins, three losses, currently on a one, two, three, four, five, six fight win streak. Uh, winning by, let's see, one, two fights by knockout, uh, two, three fights by unanimous decision, and one by split decision. And this is a win-win, I think, yeah, for their middleweight division. I, I'm going to say this, though. If I got to choose somebody, I'm going to take Peraria. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. I think the storyline is there. If he's the last real threat to Adesanya, could he go back in and lightning strike choice? Now, nothing against Strickland. Strickland will, t- like, let me put it this way. If Strickland wins, he's going to be talking a lot. And that'll hype up the fight. Sure. But I'm telling you this. Pereira is sneaking in there. He's got that history with him. I think he's going to put on an exciting fight. And then if he wins, 
don't doubt he gets that title shot. Mm-hmm. Like, like, why would you not do it at this stage? Because he's coming there if he does a, a crazy knockout. And then you think about, like, the rankings of the UFC at the middleweight division. Who else is really there for Adesanya? Like, that's the question you need to ask because he's pretty much getting to that point where he's cleaning out the division. Mm-hmm. So when you start running through the, the top five, I mean, who you got there, Pat? Uh, Robert Whitaker is number one. Jared Kenye is number two. Marvin Vittori is number three. Four is Shane Strickland. Five is Derek Brunson. Yeah, so taking a look there, I mean, it's kind of slim pickings. Yeah. Adesanya, listen, he's got that track record. So why not do the revenge fight? Because I'm going to say right now, I think Perrier wins. I think it's it's going to be a close fight, but I think he's going to get him in the third. And then if it's anything shorter than that, whew, the immediate title shot will be made. Uh-huh. Guarantee you that. This is going to be a fun fight. This could be the sleeper match of the card. Could be. I'm going to say that right now. I I know Pereira is a minus one fifteen. Strickland's a one hundred five, according to UFC.com. All the mm-hmm. uh, the betting ranks are coming from there. So just saying that said, I mean it's going to be a close fight. I think they're definitely going to have a challenge. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you what: if Pereira can do something spectacular here, and I think he is going to, <laughs> title shot says. Uh, next up is the co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division between Alexander Volkanovsky defending his belt against Max Holloway. Maxi baby. Oh, man. Okay, this one tugs at the heartstrings for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Max Holloway fan. I love seeing Max fight. Arguably one of the greatest featherweights of all time. But he has got a lot of tread on those tires. And the question that I have that I think everybody else has got is you cannot figure out the, the code against Volkanovski. Mm-hmm. Volkanovski might be pound for pound one of the best fighters on the planet. Like, legitimately. You can have that debate. I always kind of say right now it's Kamaru Usman. That's who's I got it at UFC.com. But I'm telling you, Volkanovski, you can make an argument, and I would say, you know what? I agree with you. Like, that's how good Volkanovski is because he has literally came out of nowhere and just been so dominant. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the one thing. When you get the in this era of when a champion feels they're untouchable. Yeah. Damn, it's it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, so uh, Volkanovski is very dominant, as you mentioned. In 25 professional matches, he has a record of 24 wins, one loss. His one loss come came for an Australian FC match that was back in May 10th of 2013. Mm-hmm. Since then, he has won every single professional match he's had. Uh, he For his 24 wins, 12 of them are by knockout, 3 are by submission, 9 are by decision. On the flip side, you got Max Holloway, who in 29 professional matches has a record of 23 wins, six losses, currently on a two-fight win streak, beating Calvin Qatar by unanimous decision back in January of 2021, and then beating Yair Rodriguez by unanimous decision in November 13th of 2021. Oh, by the way, worth noting, these two have met each other before, twice in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first matchup taking place on December 14th of 2019, where it was won by Alexander Volkanovsky by unanimous decision. That was at UFC 245. Uh, the second matchup coming almost immediately after, uh, but in July 12th of 2020 at UFC 251, where Volkanovsky won again, this time by split decision. So all that being said, man, this is one of the situations where I'm not excited about this fight. I mean, I'll be honest. I love Max. I love watching a fight. Volkanovski, like we touched upon, pound for pound might be one of the best right now. Mm-hmm. Or he's, he at least is in that discussion. But I thought the last fight you said was split decision yep. between those two. I didn't think it was a split. I thought Volkanovski just won out outright. 
it's one of those weird situations where Volkanovski is so dominant at this weight class, he's ran out of people to yeah, fight. And I know, much. and I know the the big uh, rumor buzz around is he's going up to 155 after this. So I don't know if he's going to have to forfeit the belt or they're going to put him in a media title shot against uh, the champion up there. It's one of the situations you're going to have to watch, but he has to win outright here to to keep that talk going. If Max gets that win, uh, all bets are off. And then I think for Max, you this is I hate using this phrase, but this is do or die for his career at, at 145. If he loses here, he's not going to get another title shot as long as Volkanovski's there. No. So where do you go? He can't go up to 155. He looked atrocious up there the one time he did step up um, recently. Uh, I, I can't for, I'm blanking on who fought him. I think it was Poirier. And Poirier looked just absolutely huge against him. Uh, this had been a while back, like a yeah. couple of years. So that being said, Holloway's not built up for 155, really. I would love to see him drop to 135, but I don't think he could do the weight cut. I think that would be way too much. He's kind of stuck in a weird position. So that being said, Pat, who are you taking? I'm going to take uh, Volkanovski. Like, the dude has not lost in, like, 10 years, you know, or going on 10 years. I see no reason he would lose now. Yeah. I, I hate betting against Max. Max is a plus 155, like we said. Volkanovski is a minus 180, according to UFC.com. Uh, you got to go with Volkanovski. I, I just I don't see how the fight's going to go any different. Max is would really have to put on an amazing performance like we haven't seen him do maybe ever. It's just Volkanovski's that good, and it's not to say Max isn't, but when you have a guy that has beaten you outright twice, what are you going to bring to the table now that he hasn't seen before? Mm-hmm. And Max, I mean, Max can strike for days. Like, that's the thing with him. Volkanovski will want to take him to the ground. He'll want to do some ground and pound. He's not going to want to stand there and exchange shots with him. He will for the first round, I guarantee you that. But then he's going to lull him in and just take him down, and this could be a really boring fight. Mm-hmm. I hate saying this, but it's going to be the truth. So I'm going to say Volkanovski wins by split decision. I'll, I'll say just to keep that narrative going. But in, after this, he's going 155. There's no point to stay around. And then Max, I don't know what you do. I really don't. It's, I it's, don't know. It's a weird, weird situation for him. So for Max, this is this is literally do or die for your career. You got to show up. You have to have the performance of a lifetime. If he wins, then you can kind of start talking some other stories. But I'm going to say right now, I would take Volkanovski. Next up is the main event of the evening, and it is for the middleweight championship where you have Israel Adesanya defending his belt against Jared Kanyei. A little tale of the tape in 23 professional matches for Adesanya. He has 22 wins, one loss. He's currently on a two-fight winning streak, beating Robert Whitaker by unanimous decision. That was back in February. Uh, and beating Marvin Vittori by unanimous decision that was back in 2021. The lone loss in his career comes when he went to the light heavyweight uh, for the first time and fought the for the UFC light heavyweight championship against Jan Blahovitz, where he lost by unanimous decision. Uh, on the other side, you've got uh, Jared Canyonier, who in 20 professional matches has a record of 15 wins, 5 losses. Currently on a two-fight win streak, he knocked out Derek Brunson in his last fight, in, that was back in February. And then he beat Kelvin Gastelum by unanimous decision. That was back in August of 2021. Well, this is going to be an interesting fight. Kenny A could win this one. All right. He's a very underrated fighter. He's got an amazing strike game. But you're going up against a guy that is the next Anderson Silva. Pretty much. 
and it's tough to really go against Adesanya. If Adesanya is focused in, and I think he is, this is going to be a real tough test for Kanye to overcome. Mm-hmm. I just think that Adesanya fights on that level that he's going to stick and move. He's definitely going to be pushing the pace. He's going to he's going to throw him off with a lot of different angle shots. I don't know if he's going to be able to handle that, to be honest with you. Kanye is very good going straight ahead and just pushing forward. His maybe one chance he's got is if he can try getting some takedowns and then or just really keep him against the cage. It's not a sexy win, but it's a win. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's literally the only thing he can do at this stage. I don't see how he can do anything otherwise because Kanye is just – he's not on that level in my opinion. But this is also MMA, so anything could happen. If Adesanya gets sleeping, much like Anderson Silva did against Chris Weidman – then you have a different story. Yeah. So I'm going to say it's Adesanya, though, till further notice. I just don't see anybody in that in that weight class right now, maybe the exception of Perea, mm. that can really challenge him. But the thing about Adesanya is he's smart enough he'll switch up that game plan. Oh, yeah, he, he's so smart. And that's the thing with him. So I know he's a minus 365. Kanye is a plus 300. Kanye has got a shot. Ain't much of a shot. But I'm going to say this. I think Adesanya is going to finish him. I think he's, he'll take him in the deep water and oh, yeah. he'll finish him in the fourth. I think so, too. And, and I think you really got to put an asterisk by that one loss in Adesanya's career. Oh, Blahovitz, yeah. Because it was against Blahovitz. And I think the thing you got to remember, too, is, and some people might forget this, was it was his light heavyweight debut, which, okay, that's not the asterisk. The asterisk is Adesanya came in at weight. Which it was in it was in the range that you can make at the weight and still qualify for the fight and get the belt and all that, but then the thing with fighters is once you make weight, you can bulk up as much as you fucking want because mm-hmm. they have the ceremonial weigh-ins, you know, which are whatever they they don't really matter. You've already officially weighed in. Once the fight or once Blahovitz weighed in, he started bulking up and he swung up. I forget how many pounds it was a. Bunch. Oh, he was huge. He was huge. He swung up probably about thirty pounds. Adesanya stayed at weight. Yeah. So so Adesanya was going in with like a 30, 40, 50 pound weight disadvantage. So that's my asterisk on the one loss in his career. He was an idiot and didn't bulk up like almost every other fighter does once they make weight. Whatever. So but no, Kanye's got a shot. It ain't much of a shot. I think it's gonna be Adesanya by decision. Yeah, I just I don't see it going any other way. I mean, I could be proved wrong. I mean, we've had year of upsets this year. So it's not all the realm of thought. It's really not. But I'm just going to say this. I mean, I just don't see him doing it. I think Kanye is going to be really struggling against trying to figure out the angles that Adesanya is throwing at him. I think that he's going to take him in the deep water. Like I say, the fourth, fifth rounds, those are the championship rounds. I think Kanye might struggle there because I think he, he, he does do a big weight cut if memory serves me right. If you do that and you take it into rounds you're not comfortable fighting in, Adesanya is used to this. It's the one thing about the championship advantage. It's It favors the champ every time. So that said, I'm going to say fourth round finish and for Adesanya. And what a way to cap off a week for the UFC, Pad. Mm-hmm. It'll be a fun night to watch. So definitely, if you're interested in doing that, Saturday night on ESPN Plus in the States and wherever you watch internationally. But hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts going into UFC 276? Are you excited about the card or are you not? What do you think is going to be the fight of the night? Let's talk some UFC, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. 
coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad, what you got? Got to talk a little local minute and look at the uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies in their last week. Uh, of course, they had a one, two, three, four, five, six game series against the Reading Fighting Phils. Uh, they had their game on Tuesday where they lost by the final score of seven to six. Wednesday they lost by the final score of nine to three. Went to the game myself on Thursday. Hey, uh, no. where they won by the final score of five to four. Hell of a game. Uh, even though the umpires were blind and clearly had property uh, purchased in Reading, Pennsylvania, because they were making some egreg- allegedly, 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 they were making some egregious, egregious calls. Uh, although I will say the Reading manager did get ejected for uh, one of the Rumble Ponies getting hit by a pitch, and it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, but they did get the walk-off win in the tenth inning. Uh, one came back and won again on uh, Friday by the final score of two to nothing. Uh, of course, Saturday, the 25th, was Stud Muffin Night, Stud Muffin 2.0 Night, Return of the Muffin. So they were the Stud Muffins for one night, uh, where they won by the final score of 11 to nothing. So I'm not saying it was the jerseys, but it was the jerseys. Uh, and then they came back and won on Sunday by the final score of 7 to 6. Uh, now, for this week, they are on the road playing a series against the Hartford Yard Goats. Uh, if you're interested, uh, Max Scherzer is scheduled to make another rehab appearance. It was supposed to be tonight as we record. Uh, it has been pushed back to Wednesday. Uh, if you go to the Binghamton Rumble Ponies uh, website, they are doing a watch party at the stadium where it is free parking uh, in the, at the stadium, so you don't got to pay the normal $5 you do to park. Uh, tickets are only purchasable at the box office at the stadium. It's $3.00. Uh, and I know they said they're doing like a food and drink special, you know, special price. Uh, and they're having a watch party for the Max Scherzer start that is scheduled to take place on Wednesday. But of course, much like pro wrestling, card subject to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are on the road this week. They do return home uh, on the first full week of July. So that's July 4th through the 10th to take on the Portland Sea Dogs. Uh, so for more information, tickets and all that good stuff, bingrp.com. So that being said... We don't have one-shots between us because there's a whole other segment that we got to talk about here. Yeah, we do. And you know we like to talk basketball. Mm-hmm. Because why, Pad? Uh, off-season is starting, and specifically uh, free agency kicks off. I think it's on, well, players who have options have until Wednesday at 5 o'clock p.m. to declare whether they're going to take their player option or not. And then free agency kicks off on Friday, I believe. See, I thought it was because basketball was your favorite sport. Well, that's true, too. But, yes, there is some rumblings going on with free agency, <laughs> to say the least. And you know that oh, we were going to have something to say about oh, this. So shit. let us just talk about it, shall we? Reading from an article on ESPN.com reads, quote, Kyrie Irving is opting into his $36.5 million option with the Brooklyn Nets for the next season. He told The Athletic on Monday, telling The Athletic, quote, normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall. A11 even. Uh, I'm verbatim, folks. A11 even. All one word. Uh, article goes on to say Irving had created a list of teams that he would have liked the Nets to consider working with on a sign and trade deal if they couldn't agree on terms for him to stay in Brooklyn. But the Los Angeles Lakers were the only known only team known to be interested, sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, Without the ability to find a sign-and-trade deal, Irving plans to exercise his player options, sources confirmed. He has until 5 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday to file the paperwork to opt in. Uh, So the article goes on to say a whole bunch of other stuff, but we got the basic details out of the way. Yeah. Okay. So let's just break this down for what it is. Dumbass played chicken and got called on his bluff. Uh Uh-huh. He threatened to leave. 
and he realized the temp in the room. Nobody wants to deal with this bullshit. The Lakers were willing to, and I think the Lakers would have worked because LeBron is a leader. LeBron is an alpha. LeBron is a, hey, go here, go do this. Kyrie ain't that type of person. I think it would have worked for the Lakers in theory on paper, but obviously because of the whole signing trade and everything with the Lakers salary cap situation, it didn't end up working out. Mark my words. I'm Let's do locks and leaps for this one. Sure. Lock, Kevin Durant is staying in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the leap is Kyrie is still going to L.A. Here is what I think is going to happen. I think that he realized now the temp in the room is there's only one place that, he's, that he feels welcome at. Mm-hmm. There was the rumblings that we heard that it was possible that Brooklyn was ready to get rid of both KD. Well, they were planning on it. And Kyrie. Yeah. I don't think that that was a throwaway statement, no. in my opinion. No. I think what's going to happen is Kevin Durant and the powers that be at Brooklyn are going to still try finding a way to move Kyrie. Like, Kyrie was not going to turn down that guaranteed money. Uh-huh. Let's face it. Okay, if he had turned down $35 million guaranteed, right. get him a psychiatric evaluation. I mean, the, th- the thing, though, is there was the whole possibility he could, he could have signed with the Lakers on a mid-level exception deal, which was only like $6 million, and people were like, oh, would he really want to you know, give up that much money? And other people were like, well, yes, look at what happened all of last season and the fact that he's losing his shoe deal with Nike. Well, that's the whole thing. Kyrie is unpredictable. And I think that Brooklyn is now realizing, well, you reap what you sow. Uh-huh. You made that bet. Now you got a lot. Uh-huh. Because when you brought him in, you brought in Kevin Durant, you let them form the super team. And I will admit, as I always do, I wanted them both in New York. I'm so glad I was wrong about that. I have always said that. I will always stand by this statement. But look at the track record that you have done there since you have joined forces. Mm-hmm. You've done as much as the Knicks have done. Well, a little bit more. Maybe a little more. Depending on how far back you go. Yeah. But lately, not much. I mean, I I think it ultimately comes down to like what we were discussing in our group chat with some of our other podcast friends the other night. Mm -hmm. Neither KD nor Kyrie are leaders. No. They they, they like to think they are, but they're not. Because look at their history. When Kyrie was with LeBron in Cleveland, great player, great scoring, great Mm -hmm. defense, great everything. Because LeBron was the leader of that team. Mm-hmm. LeBron, Kyrie had his issues, went to Boston. Never quite worked out because that was a young team and Kyrie was expected to lead. Okay. Then you go flip to, because I'm going to do this where they meet and meet, meet together in, in Brooklyn. So on the flip side, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant with Oklahoma City. They had some success, but they never really flourished, I think, to their fullest extent. You know, they never really had a leader. It was kind of like three pieces altogether. Then Kevin Durant goes to Golden State, where that is clearly Steph Curry's team. That is clearly Steph Curry, Steph, Clay, and Draymond leading that thing, and Kevin Durant's coming in and adding to it. KD ain't got to do nothing. Hey, I don't got to make any decisions. I don't got to lead this team. I just got to score and play me. Yeah, Flourish beautifully. So kind of like, like a similar situation like Kyrie had in Cleveland. Now they both come to Brooklyn, where... There is no leader on that team. There, mm-hmm. it, there is nobody that can kind of like dictate things and decide things because neither one of them want to fucking do it. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, hey, it's great for them, but they need somebody there who can lead the team that they don't have to because clearly they don't want to fucking do it. Well, the problem is that you have people around them that are telling them they're bigger than they are. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, no, it's, it's the entourage. You have what, whoever it is. 
And I'm not going to specify anybody because I don't know who right, they, who, right. who they're who is in there. But yeah, how many times have we seen Kevin Durant lash out at the media? Oh yeah, and really got all the time in the world to go at fans on Twitter. Yeah, burner accounts and allegedly and and all that jazz. Like that's the whole thing. If you're not emotionally ready to play the role of leader, and heavy is the head that wears the crown, it always is. Then. You have to realize you guys are not ready for this. You wanted to play together. You thought you'd be steamrolling through everybody in the East. And lo and behold, you're getting beat by teams. Mm-hmm. Boston is a team. Guess yep. what? They swept you. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee is a team. Guess what? They want to chip over you. Yep. So what do you want to say? Heck, the Knicks even give you a run for the money. That's why I said they've had more success in the head-to-head matchup, I believe. I don't know. I'm going to still hold that torch because I'm just bitter. But my point is, you have Kyrie, who's been a train wreck everywhere. He's gone in the NBA. Played less than about half, if not less than half the games he's supposed to for the Nets. Yes. He's had history of injuries. Yeah. He couldn't handle being LeBron's sidekick. Yep. There's a reason Robin doesn't run the Justice League. It's Batman. Yeah. So when he didn't want to be the sidekick role, he thought he was going to be a bigger well, member and, on, the, and on let's Boston. Not, let's work. not forget when Kyrie was with Cleveland, there was that whole thing LeBron had about, oh, leaving the team for Kyrie, you know, that, oh, eventually my time's going to fade away and Kyrie's going to rise up and, and lead the team. He booked it the fuck out of there faster than your head can spin. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing. He can't handle when he's not in the spotlight. So what are you going to do now when you can stay in Brooklyn? Sure. I'm not saying you can't. But all eyes are on you now mm-hmm. because of the actions you have done for, oh, yeah. for whatever reason you have. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and justify and, and just clarify. You have done this in front of the public eye. And, and it would, the, going into the, if, if all the offseason antics to this point had not happened, it, there still would have been spotlights on them, but not necessarily to the degree they're at because it would have been, hey, can they rebound? Kyrie with a full season. You know, fewer distractions, blah, 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 blah. But now with all the nonsense, all the bullshit of him wanting to leave, oh, there's four or five teams I want to play for, oh, only all this other stuff, the lights have just gotten turned up even brighter. Yeah. And, and now the pressure is really on for you guys to deliver and prove this ain't a fluke, that, like, you guys are legit. But that's the whole thing. I don't think they're going to be together to do this. Because as we were recording, Le- Russell Westbrook opted in for L.A. For $47.1 million. And after his performance last year, I think there was a little more to LeBron saying he wanted Kyrie there. Well, the thing is, is Irving and Russell Westbrook are now both ineligible for sign-in trades. Yeah. they got to be traded straight up, which means somebody's got to be willing to take on $36.5 million from uh, Kyrie. And then somebody's got to be willing to take on $47 million from Russ, which good fucking luck. Well, you know what? Mark my words. I seriously think my leap is Kyrie's still going to L.A. Russell's coming to Brooklyn because both teams don't want to deal with their headaches because it's clear as day Russell and LeBron can't play together for whatever reason. And Russell struggles. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a straight-up trade. With other parts and picks added in. Well, let's let's play that game because I know ESPN's got the trade machine. Let's try that. I, I'm being dead serious about it, Pat. Like I say, you might think I'm crazy. And especially when I put it in our chat, like they just need to go back to OKC. They should have just on the Cleveland route. It would have been the big PR move. Russell and KD come back home. They you know make a run to the finals, get beat by the Warriors. KD leaves again. You know, it would make a great story. But in all reality, it's the only move that makes sense because KD has made it very clear, if you read through all the media, in my opinion, he, can't, he doesn't want to play with Kyrie anymore. He realizes that he is more trouble than he's worth. 
And LeBron thinks he can do it because LeBron can't handle what's going on with Russell and how much he's struggled. All right, so with the ESPN trade machine, i got to bear in mind that I can't put draft picks in in this. uh, But it's just a straight-up trade. It does not work because according to ESPN.com, so if you go to ESPN.com slash NBA slash trade machine, you can try this yourself. Uh, This says uh, straight up Kyrie for Russell Westbrook. Uh, On the Brooklyn side, it does not work because, quote, the Nets are over the luxury tax threshold with this trade and the incoming aggregate salaries exceed what's allowed via the 125% plus $100,000 rule. They need to cut, holy fucking shit. They would need to cut $44,111,146 from the Nets' incoming trade value to make this trade successful. So to do this, they would need to off to get rid of $44 million. Jesus Christ. I'm just saying the NBA is a weird place. I'm not like I it's it's probably not going to happen with that, but I'm also saying don't rule it out for reasons. I'm just going to put that out there. Like you might have an allocation like you've never seen before. We're just they're dumping everybody. Well, I just made it work, so. <laughs> See? Told you. But the thing of it is, is Brooklyn would need to give up one, two, three, four, five, six players to do it, and I don't think you'd be able to do that. Never say no. I'm just going to say this right now. Because, I made it. Because again, with who I can trade, because I can't trade uh, from the Brooklyn Nets, I can't trade Patty Mills, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, LaMarcus Aldridge, Goran Dragic. So I ended up trading Kyrie, Seth Curry, Cam Thomas, uh, Sharp, Nick Claxton, and Edwards. It does. Or no, I tried it at that time. It didn't work. Ooh, this is interesting. What the fuck did I do wrong? Oh no, there it goes. Yeah, it worked. So yeah, you got to trade about six or seven players, and then it works. You do that, and you do buyouts. Like I'm telling you, they they're gonna make that happen because I just can't see them with the amount of drama that's been on both teams this off season. You you can't do. It. I hate that I made it work. I know, but that's the thing. Like I'm telling you right now, like they're going to find a way to do this. And then yeah. everybody's going to go like, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks, yeah. on the ODPH. But that's not the only other big moves we got to just talk a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there's a big one going on with L.A. Clippers, actually. Yeah, so John Wall, who had been with the Houston Rockets, agreed to a buyout with said Houston Rockets, uh, which was to the – he was due $47.4 million from the Rockets. They bought that out. Uh, and once he clears waivers, uh, he is going to sign with the L.A. Clippers, according to ESPN. Big move. If he's a fraction of what he used to be able to play, that's a huge win for the Clippers. If he comes out like how Kemba did last year for the Knicks, uh, it could be a struggle. Um, And I hate saying that because I love Kemba. But this is one of those situations that John Wall needs to get out, a fresh start somewhere where he's not going to be the headline, and he can definitely kind of factor in there and make something happen. Well, yeah, I mean, plus you just look at kind of that, like, starting rotation of what the Clippers would have once John Wall comes in there. Because right now they're started, listed starting point guard as Reggie Jackson, which, <laughs> sorry, dude, you're not starting over John Wall. Uh, you'd have John Wall at the point guard, shooting guard would be Paul George, Kawhi Leonard at the small forward, Robert Covington at the power forward, and then uh, Ivicia Zubak at the center. That's that's a pretty decent starting five. Yeah, it's a decent starting five. Assuming they all start stay healthy. Well, that's the whole thing, too. That's going to be a different story as well. And then finally, I mean, we got to talk some Knicks. And obviously with Kyrie off the board, thank God. Uh, Jalen Brunson from uh, Dallas is heavily favored to be heading to the Garden. I don't know how I feel about this. I, uh, to me, uh, from the outside looking in, that ain't the answer. He's not the answer. Uh, obviously, draft sure night. shit for not $100 million. Draft night went egregiously for the Knicks. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's why I said we couldn't even really break it down because it was so egregious. Jesus Christ. When you when you got Spike Lee on his knees praying to God for something good to happen to the Knicks, it ain't good. 
No, and the Knicks were just dumping salary left and right. Uh, I mean, where do you go from here? I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm trusting the powers that be. They're going to do something to kind of steer the ship in the right direction because they're smart enough they can do this. But honest to God, uh, Brunson, I don't know if it's really worth that $100 million contract. If you can make something happen there because the Knicks need a shooter, uh, hopefully that could do that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, and we're just going to kind of have to watch and, you know, to be honest with you, wait and see and uh, hold out for bated breath. I mean, at least they didn't go crazy to get Kyrie. Cause this I, is true. That would have been bad. Brunson, I mean, listen, you're going over the low bar expectation because the Knicks need to do a lot of work. So, listen, if he comes there and, he, and he's a superstar, he'll, he'll prove me wrong. Because, I mean, when you play with Luka, I mean, everybody can look good. So This is true. Yeah. So we'll have to talk some basketball as uh, next week uh, when the dust settles on the free agency. Because, like I said, we were I was too upset I couldn't talk about the NBA draft. I did not want to get any more nonsense about breaking down everybody's picks because, you know, everybody was smart. Except the Knicks Except because the Knicks. we just trade everybody. So I'm like, how am I supposed to sit here and spend You trade that? everybody, and it's not even coming out in, like, one tweet from the writers. It's in, like, 11 tweets. Yeah. That takes fucking a PhD to understand. Yeah, so that's why I said we're just going to close the segment out talking basketball. And I was not ducking about the Knicks' egregiousness because I don't know what the process is with Leon Rose and Thibodeau and everybody there. I don't. I have no answers because I think they were, they were clearing out cap because they were debating about going to get Kyrie. But since Kyrie opted in, thank God, that that won't be their headache, and they can go after Brunson, and you know, hopefully he'll be the answer they need. I don't know. I mean, they they need to rewrite that ship, get rid of some contracts if they're not going to work, and get in back into the winning direction, whatever that's going to be. Because I don't know. Because the rest of the league had a great draft, we didn't. We had an awful one. Because you know what? We gave away everybody. I don't even I don't even need to get any more. Allegedly, discussion. Coach Duffy's on the team now. Yeah, Coach Duffy, we we heard got a tryout. So you know, Coach, do us proud. Remember us. You know, when you're sitting on the bench. Uh, but at least you can give him you know two a night. So you know <laughs> two turnovers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you notice I didn't say two exactly, but that's what you can do. And uh, lastly, hockey news. Hey, Colorado got the cup. Hey, congratulations. Yes. Which uh, Brian Wayne did shoot his line back. He said all the small things. Let's make it happen. So. Shout, shout out to the Spanish commentary crew that was calling the game for ESPN. and Saw that video. Uh, I know Adam Schefter shared it on his social media accounts. Fucking awesome. Oh, I, right. I, I think I need to watch hockey via Spanish commentary more often. I won't understand a goddamn word they're saying outside the names when it's exciting as all hell. Yeah, definitely. So uh, it was a great finish to the hockey season. Tampa Bay just ran out of gas. Colorado was Colorado. Uh, they were healthy enough. They outskated them. They got a, a lot of breaks, but you know what? I don't feel bad about the officiating because, hey, how bad did it get done to the Rangers? <laughs> so you'll have We're still no, recovering. Yeah, I have no sympathy for anybody about this. So it's the offseason now. Rangers Blue, Nation, Blue Shirt Nation is going to stand up. Uh, preseason games were announced, so we'll just have to wait to see and talk hockey about that. But, hey, congratu- congratulations, Colorado. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys did did what we needed you to do you did the world outside the tampa bay uh tampa bay county or whatever it is proud yes so you know kudos but it's the off season so guess what you're on the target list next year because we are rangers town i believe in igor i want to end on a happy note damn it and you know what makes me happy talking about tom jolu who is playing a very big show this weekend he has the uh watch party for his live music yeah. uh film that he was doing like he's got a lot of cool stuff going on as well as brian wolf who uh speedy and healthy recoveries he is uh bouncing back from a case of covid mm-hmm. so uh, definitely our well wishes going out to him and second suitor's got a lot going on to shout out the raw pat if i want to talk music where do i go odphpodcast.com right on you head on over to the music section you check out everybody we said you go download you follow you interact with them you tell them the odph sent you they'll all say oh yeah shout out to them and we'll say shout out to them as well 
Uh, cause they're all great bands and like floodlands and yard party and everybody like we can't shout them out enough parlay points, new blogs dropping this week. I got a new wrestling one. I am in the works for Cause I got the press photos for forbidden door. So we'll be making something happen on there. So if you want to talk some more wrestling after there, we can definitely do that. The classified section, which has friends of the show, such as eight, one, two, two productions, uh, Dragon Master Games, which I always feel bad we don't shout them out enough. Rich always mentions it on 607TWS, and we should because they've been very good to the ODPH as well over the years. So definitely want to shout them out. Organizational link support and Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we're in. And voter registration, like I said in the beginning of the show, we made a tweet about it. I think everybody knows where we stand with it. We are saddened and appalled by the Supreme Court decision. I didn't want to get too much into it, but we have voter registration right at the top of the classified section. So carry that same energy and make your vote heard in November because we are not happy with what went down, and we're going to be definitely making sure everybody knows about how to get registered to vote. Absolutely. So I didn't, like I said, I know I kind of made it short at the beginning of the show. I did not want to get into it because I knew I was going to get wound up because I'm still pretty fucking pissed off about that. Um. Yeah, and all of a sudden, we got a directory too, Pat. How many providers we got now? Oh, 62,732. Sounds about right. So if we're not on your favorite podcast provider, let us know. We will try fixing that the best we can. We've been told about a couple other ones. We did submit there, so, uh, you know, we're we're doing what we can for you because that's what we do here at the ODPH. So all of that, the T Public Store, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So for the only Pat and J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Yeah, fuck the Astros, too. Let's go Yankees. 50 games over 500. Gang, gang. This is what we do. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.
to the twilight zone Where it's so strange but it still feels like home